0: tonight four titles are up for grabs as the champions try to hogtie the challengers for the showdown of their lives after being piled driven into the bare floor by pompous lord stephen regal flying brian's shot at the tv title is more than just revenge chicago's streets will never be the same as max Payne and cactus jack play a little tune of their own on wcw's nastiest tag team the nasty boys then, the U.S. title is in danger of being captured by Japan's own Muda as he takes on stunning Steve Austin with Colonel Parker by his side. As far as Sting is concerned, no doors will be slammed in his face as he challenges ravishing Rick Rude for the international title. Will Rude be citing any autographs after the match? Sting and other contenders can only hope. Texas' own Dustin Rhodes is saddling up for his Bunkhouse match with Colonel Parker's latest trophy-smashing find, Bunkhouse Bot. Sound the sirens as the boss tries to brand the monsters Vader with his version of Law and & Order. And after a supposed misunderstanding, Ricky Steamboat will go up against longtime friend Rick Blair as this world title match puts their friendship to the test. Tonight, live from Chicago's Rosemont Horizon, it's World Championship
1: yeah, they did
2: do something, didn't they, with like where Mick Foley had gone missing and she was searching for it. Now, I don't think it was at this point, point in time. Um, so it probably, it, I'm certain it wasn't part of that story, but they did do a story where he'd gone missing.
3: So the angle where they felt they needed to recast his wife because they thought his wife was too attractive to be married to him.
2: I think that's <laughs> true.
3: <laughs> that's a lovely backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> his wife's pre too pretty
0: for you. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Stick <laughs> you.
2: And welcome to Random Wrestling Review. And uh, today we're heading out of WrestleMania season, and I am also going completely scriptless for this intro, mainly because this morning when we record these episodes, usually what happens is I get up early and I start writing out a nice little script for the introduction and for the introduction of you two as well. Uh, you two, who are you two? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, and then I come out and I just read it out and it's all good. This time though, didn't sleep very well last night, so it didn't happen. I got up a bit later and decided we will just go completely, uh, on the hoof, if you like. So that being said, to, to help me through these, uh, uncharted waters, first of all, I've got a man who undoubtedly will be giving lots of fashion advice to our wrestlers as we go through the show. He puts the old into bold and also into gold. <laughs> It's Sam Ah, oh,
1: that's lovely. Considering you did write that, you've obviously been thinking of that for a while. <laughs> so I appreciate that you think of me as both old, well, all of old, bold and gold.
2: WrestleMania 38, old, bold and gold. That's what it's gonna yes. be called.
1: Yes, ah, lovely. Finally, finally, my main event slot. Uh, as you said, Tinky, we, uh, we stepped off the road to WrestleMania. We're now on the dirt track to SummerSlam. It, it's always an exciting time. And what better way to start than with a stampede?
2: With a stampede indeed, because we are covering WCW Spring Stampede 1994 today, and we will get to that in just a second after I've introduced the other host of the show, of course. He is our resident hip-hop guru and travel expert. Is Tom Smith. Tom, how are you?
3: Uh, Very well, thank you. Uh, Hello, lads. I'm sorry to hear you didn't sleep very well, Tinky. Hopefully uh, we won't put you to sleep. With this, uh, with the content of this, uh, of this pay per view, we're going to do our best to keep a heart in and high energy because that's the kind of guys that we are. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's good. It's good to know. It's good to know I've got the support of uh, my fellow hosts on the show. So as I say, we are going to be covering WWE Spring Stampede 1994 today, and we're going to be doing something a little bit different to start the show. And I will get to that in just a second. I'll get to it just after I make a little request to all of our listeners. So just give us a nice little review, a rating, a share on social media, anything to help us grow the podcast as best we can. uh, Wherever you uh, get your podcasting, uh, whenever you listen to your podcast, wherever you uh, have your social media, please. Yeah, just give us a bit of support. That would be absolutely uh, lovely. So um, what I said, we're going to do something a little bit different today, which is rather than kind of give our overall thoughts of the show beforehand, we're going to leave that till the end because we do a review. We do a summary of it anyway at the end. Um, and this time we're going to go to um, talk to these guys about what we expected uh, for, uh, about this show beforehand. So what, what were our thoughts before we watched it? Um, Tom, I'm going to come to you to start with. What, what were you expecting from this one? Um, so
3: I have not watched any of this era of WCW. This is completely, completely foreign to me. I've seen a little bit of like NWO kind of era stuff. I've seen a little bit of like the early the, the crockett kind of stuff um back back then. But I haven't seen anything anything of this era. I don't really know what to expect. I was expecting to be <clears throat> a little bit campy, a little bit
1: bad in parts, but with some good wrestling overall.
2: Okay, good. That's interesting, interesting. An old man?
1: Well, I wasn't watching a huge amount at this time of WWE and no WCW. 1994 wasn't a very good year for WWE, having watched it back. So my expectations were quite low, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't really have much uh excitement i would say i'm always intrigued but i was very excited
2: i'm gonna to have to take umbrage with your suggestion the 994 mm. at wwe wasn't very good not because you're probably right actually from a completely objective standpoint but i've got to be honest it was the year i got into wrestling so for me it's an absolute golden period of pro wrestling <laughs> um and i absolutely love it And what was really interesting for me is because that was the time I got into pro wrestling. I was like, this is kind of like stepping into an alternative universe that took place parallel Mm -hmm. to the universe I watched and know really well. Mm So that was kind of something I was really excited to see. Um, I also should kind of make a thought uh, note about how I qu- kind of choose the shows for what we cover, because it, it does feed into what I was expecting from the show. Because what I tend to do is I just go, OK, well, we've just had three WrestleManias. It's time to mix it up. Let's go for something with WCW. I also like to bring it as far away in time from the period we've just covered. So 1994 is 20 years before Wrestlemania 30 so that made a lot of sense to me in terms of this should be the next show and I didn't and that's the only real thought I put into what I select so I have no idea of the quality I don't think about what's on the show I just go for it like that but then after we finished our Wrestlemania 30 kind of review and that kind of closed the book on that one I started thinking about this show because this was the next one on our schedule and I thought I got a feeling there's an early spring stampede from this period which is supposed to be excellent so that was kind of like okay i um, I that and I don't know if this is it, but I'm hoping it is. And then of course at the beginning of the show we see the the list of matches and I'm thinking well, given the list of matches, given some of the matches you've got on it, it very well could be. So I was quite excited at that point, and I already kind of was, but I was quite excited for the for the show, seeing what kind of matches were in place. So let's see if it if it lives up to that hope and uh, expectation, uh, and and in your and your in some in your cases in some places kind of uh, confounds the, the the low expectations you had for it.
3: Um, can I just quickly uh, just to I think we can. Between you and I think arrive, we can quickly think of five things from WWF in nineteen ninety four to change old man's mind quickly. Okay. So off the top of my head, mm-hmm. Men on Emissions rap song at WrestleMania <laughs> Ten. <laughs> yep. You've got the Owen Hart Turn on Brett at the Rumble ninety-four. Of course. Uh the Ladder Match at WrestleMania Ten. Uh Diesel, walking out on Shawn at Survivor Series ninety four. And Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania 10. Those those five alone should quantify as a as a decent year.
2: Brett versus Owen would be a, would make any year a decent year, uh, no I, matter what year it was in.
1: I was going to say I was like you've just asked her five things, I can think he's just going to say Brett versus Owen five times. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to make move up to ten. Leslie Nielsen looking for the Undertaker. Yeah. Uh, oh
3: yeah is, yeah, is another highlight. Um, the actual obviously Owen Hart kicking Brett's leg out of his leg. <laughs> It's a very Brett centric list, you're gonna realize. <laughs> Brett winning the title at WrestleMania yeah. Ten and the and the locker room coming out. Specifically Macho Man Randy Savage standing on the turnbuckle and pointing at him. It's a lovely moment. It makes me always gets me a bit a bit choked
2: up. Um what else happens, Tinky? Well, I, I was thinking of some of the more alternative things. So for example, I was thinking this isn't a joke. Alundra Blaze versus Ball Nakano, oh, Sunset Night Four is a great match. It's really great match. match. I was also thinking of some other slightly jokier thing. So there's, a, I recently um, retweeted something on our uh, Twitter uh, at RWRPodUK, which was uh, a little meme of, like, there have been people saying, oh, you know, something like wrestling doesn't make you cry, and then the wrestling, and it shows you something that's sad. And one of the things from that is Brett's, uh, sorry, Tom's already, I've called you Brett then, Tom. Um, I'll, I'll Tom, take it, I'll take it. I'll be more happy with that. <laughs> Tom's already mentioned the moment, but it's when the, um, it's when the uh, roster comes out at the end of Bret Hart's victory at WrestleMania 10, but specifically it showed Bret Hart on the shoulders of Lex Luger and I think Razor Ramon. And then there's a zoom in on Lex Luger's face and he's all (laughs) sad because it could have been him. Um, So that's, that's another bit. Obviously the classic that is Adam Bomb versus Earthquake at WrestleMania 10. I mean, you can't, you can't leave this stuff out. And and uh, yeah, and also a great Owen Hart King of the Ring victory that year. So there are plenty of things to enjoy. It's, it's a strange period though, because Vince was obviously his attention was taken by the old steroid scandal. So that's all going on at the same time. The roster shrinks to a really low level because of think of the same thing. They just were t- really trying to trying to tighten um, the purse strings.
3: Not not physically shrink, so they're all off the steroids and a bit, <laughs> a bit smaller.
2: <laughs> that too, that too. In fairness, it's it is all yeah. like in the in the same thing. Um, and so it's just a different. It's just a really odd year, but it is the year that introduced me to pro wrestling. So it kind of, that year in in WWF 1994 was really quite a, a big part for me. And so this, again, this kind of takes me into that parallel universe.
1: Before we move on. So you said 1994 was when you got into wrestling. I'll prefix this for the listener. So Tinky does all of the editing and the production on this podcast. He's an absolute hero. Do you reckon that if you'd watched, got into WCW instead, instead of the... Flawless production that you do on this podcast, it would all be clunky and shit and amateur and horrible because like (laughs) if you didn't have the high class production values of 1994 WWE as your starting point, you'd have had 1994 Spring Stampede.
2: I mean, it's true. Although, in fairness, even WWF struggle at times. I mean, at WrestleMania 10, they didn't time the show well enough to get in a 10-man tag that they scheduled. And That's had true. to have they had to have a little flipping thing backstage where the reason the match didn't take place is because the bad guys couldn't decide on who the captain of the team was. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd
1: forgotten
3: about that. <laughs> it, it didn't happen, but they still, got, they still explained it.
2: Mm. They did still explain it at least they gave a reason why it didn't happen, so you can't you can't argue with that, can you um, let's go into this one then, so we've got um. <laughs> I've just noticed the first note we've got on the on the on the rundown, which is that Adrian Neville sings the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> um, so we do get somebody who sings the Star Spangled Banner. I think his name is Neville. Is it Adrian Neville? I, I
1: lost myself. No, it's Aaron. Aaron. Yes. <laughs> <I was laughs>
2: Sorry, like, <boys. laughs> for a minute there, I was like, it could be right. I'm not. Good. I don't know if I should question it, to be honest. But yeah, uh, Aaron Neville sang the Star Spangled Banner. I didn't know who Aaron Neville was. Anybody else?
3: Yeah, so Aaron Neville um, sang Hercules. Um, Can I have you, if you please, because My name is Hercules. You recognise the bassline? It's been it's been sampled many. Well, I know it because it's been sampled many a times in in hip hop songs. But it's got a very um. I think it might even be on the Jackie Brown soundtrack. track. Um, oh, quite okay. Jackie Brown. It's a it's a it's a really good song. Uh, but what I did <laughs> chuckle at is that when they introduced him, they're like. One half of the Neville brothers <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hello. <laughs> Screechy Phil Neville on commentary, <laughs> a curtain frosted tips Phil Neville doing and singing the national anthem. Well, oh, lovely old job. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and fortunately, it wasn't. And what you wouldn't get this from his performance but Aaron Neville is actually a really good singer. <laughs> he's <laughs> actually got a really good voice, but he looks like he's in agony as he sings. It's always closed. He's either super patriotic or he's just terrified of being there. But um, he looks like he's in agony and the performance is really quite bad. But he is actually a very good singer and he's got a hell of a get up on as well.
2: Have you noticed he's actually wearing the Mounties hat? That, that's what <laughs> <laughs>
3: He's got, he's got this. He's got this nuts hat on. He's got sunglasses on the doors, which isn't, you know, it's not. It's not completely perfect, of course. A incredibly tight leopard print. It's like an Under Armour t shirt. It's it's yeah. it's madness. But um, and but fair play to him. He's, it's a strong look. He carries it off in a way that I don't think any of us could. Oh. Well, I might be doing us down too, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, it's kind of a bit of, a, and it's a cappella as well, so it always gives a little bit of credibility to it.
1: But it's no Willie Nelson. This is the problem, is that I was watching it and I was like, once they actually turn the sound up, it's actually pretty decent. Right? And you can tell he's got a good voice. The last note is wonderful. It's like someone's just gone over and just set a load of, covered his bollocks in honey and a load of bees are going at it. It's like, ah! When you were saying about his really tight, Under style top, you know this is, don't you? this is the rock this is basically the rock's look now he's t- basically lifted adrian neville not bloody out aaron <laughs> that's in the head now adrian neville comes down ah, you fucking bastard ah. one thing i do absolutely love which i was going to mention later but I'm oh, a bit excited. Is he sits by the commentators for the <laughs> yeah. whole show? And I kept seeing him and I was like, who's that guy dressed as a cheetah next to Bobby Heenan? And then they cut to the commentators at one point. I say, like, it's Aaron Neville or Adrian, whoever. Or Gary it is. or Phil <laughs> or whoever the hell it is. Or their dearly departed father, Neville. Neville.
2: Yeah. i mean i'm sorry old man you're wrong there's no evidence that he's a good singer in this appearance <laughs> none at all he's ter- the only thing that th- that note at the end is a way for him to try and cover up the fact that he knows his performance has been absolutely terrible because he is not he does not do well in this performance that's not to say that you know if i saw other things he wouldn't prove himself to be a good singer but here there's no evidence <laughs> that he can sing so Aaron Neville has been previously introduced here by Mean Gene Oakland, who, who obviously, uh, you know, as, as long-time WWF fans,
1: turn count.
2: <laughs> well, well, I think he was part of WWF's cost in actually, which is why he went away to WWE. I think the same is true of one of the commentators of the show, which is obviously Bobby Heenan, who sat next to Tony Schiavone, newly arrived in WWE, not many months before this, having kind of had his last WWF appearance on the sort of uh, one of the late '93 episodes of Raw where he was kind of kicked out basically
3: just to quantify something uh Hercules is not on the uh, Jackie Bryan soundtrack oh <laughs>
2: Th- thanks for that thanks for that uh, clarification <laughs> um I'd hate for anyone to be calling us fake news that would be uh <laughs> that would be dreadful
3: oh um, in- incidentally nowadays uh, also Aaron Neville's got a tattoo on
1: his face has, has he got a tattoo of his face to look like Gary or Phil or Adrian Neville? <laughs> yes, he's got two, one on each cheek and one on the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> lovely old job
2: so the first match of the night sees johnny b bad take on ddp A match that goes about five and a half minutes and bad wins with a top rope sunset flip old man do you want to get us started with this one
1: i will cover the match i think i'll leave some of the incidental information to tom because i'd imagine he's quite excited to talk about it
3: well first of all uh,
1: neville oh. uh, had the
3: tattoo on his face at this point apparently he had it when he was 16 so there you go. sorry, no. What were we talking
2: about? I, I'm gonna <laughs> say I'm gonna say that Tom's more interested in Neville's tattoos than you were in, brave, uh, in John Cena's legacy last week. <laughs> oh, yes.
3: <man>. Oh, don't <laughs> start me on that. I'll tell you what. I, I was disappointed there wasn't a Aaron Neville's face tattoo on a pole match
1: on this pay per view. Hey,
2: hey. In later WCW, they may, they yeah. may very well have been. Who yeah. knows?
1: So back to old Johnny B. Bad and DDP. I mean, for a start, so DDP makes his entrance. There's a man in the crowd with a TBS jumper. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> I mean, there's loads of, like, planted stuff in the crowd throughout the show, which we'll get to. The referee's mullet is phenomenal. Like, Randy Anderson is really pulled all the stops out. I thought this was... a Really lovely little match. I just really enjoyed it. I could actually tell from watching this, uh, from an in-ring perspective, kind of why WWE actually signed who would become Mark Merron. I actually thought it was really good. I thought DDP is, this is obviously reasonably early in DDP's run. And it's quite interesting to see him because the stuff that we watched um, of him, what was it, sold out. He's really polished and he really knows, he knows who he is in the ring and what he can and can't do. And in this, he's kind of like, it looks like he's being led by old Johnny B. And I thought it was really good. And I enjoyed the fact that the referee put DDP into position for the finish. He just kind of pushes him. (laughs) and it's like oh okay <laughs> so that's happening is it and ddp's like what's going on here and he's like oh yeah sorry i was still over there was not i yeah just really really enjoyed it good yeah g- echoing um all sentiments is probably one of the better
3: mark Merrow performances i think i've seen and yeah look you're right you can see that this there's, there's a i don't want it to be too much of a wanker about it there's a there's a diamond in the rough with oh, in there. you can see <laughs> you can see you can see he's got potential there but he's still he's still got green johnny p pats look is so unbelievably strong right this did the hair and the tash combination and he must wear some kind of makeup because his face just looks nuts he doesn't look like a real human being his face looks like a pixar interpretation of what a human looks like (laughs) at that time in 1994 you know why all the humans look nuts in toy story
2: yeah well he's supposed to be he's supposed to be little richard isn't he well yeah and that was my further
3: on point. No, Richard went popping in 1994. Again, another wonderful sign of how woefully behind the times wrestling hey. is, despite the fact that Rid- Little Richard, I know, turns up at WrestleMania 10. But again, that still doesn't prove my point. If he turned up at, <laughs> I don't know, the Super Bowl in 1994, then you could compare it. But again, it's just another example of how far behind the times wrestling is. At the time, I'm assuming he was married to Sable. Yeah, she's so. she saw him with that hair and that tash. And thought, oh, I thought, I've better that. <laughs> <laughs> also, his ring attire is just phenomenal. He's he's got he's got a tiny red glitter cowboy hat on with matching waistcoat, pants with a little what do you call them like a loincloth. cloth in front of them. Yeah. It's just it's just absolute phenomenal work from the great man. And then down comes to the ring, DDP already got a very strong look, got the cigar and the diamond doll with him, who then proceeds to go around the ring and give uh, give Bobby Heenan a little a little handful of diamond looking like personally engraved diamonds. Which I thought was a lovely touch, which meant that Bobby Heenan was really biased towards DDP the entire match. And Tony Schwane kept calling him out on it, which I quite enjoyed.
2: Just uh, on Mark Merrow and and Sable, they married in 1994. So maybe they weren't married at this point. I don't know. Obviously, don't know exactly when in 1994.
1: Do you think she thought she was marrying Little Richard? (laughs) And then, like, a few years later, she was like, hang on, this isn't Little Richard. (laughs) And she went from, obviously, Johnny B. Bad. To Brock Lesnar, it's quite the change, isn't it? She was like, "I want to look so I want to go for someone who looks the polar opposite
3: of Johnny B. Patterson. Yeah, I'm going to go yeah. with a pale, massive, short-haired blonde guy.
2: <laughs> that is a very good point. Um, I thought the match itself was decent enough. I mean, it only lasted about five and a half to six minutes so it wasn't going to be a, a classic of any kind but it was perfectly good way to start the show uh we saw johnny Bad come out with the confetti gun a la Shawn michaels at yes. Restaurant 19. yes um which shows that the technology was there um but they still <laughs> hadn't mastered it the wwf uh about 10 years later again <laughs> wwf don't always get these production points uh, right and that was an example of one there It was
3: just the new technology that hulk hogan was talking about in 1991
2: <laughs> might have been who knows so yeah it was it was really decent uh and you're right ddp was showing kind of like some of that rule potentially had i think it's ddp himself who's spoken about the fact that early in his career or round about this time in wcw bischoff kind of said to him that you've got just too many gimmicks there's too much going on you've got the diamond doll you've got the cigar you've got like i th- I think he's kind of got he got like all the chains and the and the gold around his his neck and he just there's too he said there's just too much going on you need to like just bring it back a step then you'll really start to go somewhere and you can see it here there's just a lot going on with with ddp's throwing everything at it um and in an attempt to get over it because obviously he was quite old by the time he started wrestling and um was trying to rush himself as far fast as he could to the top so after this Shavoni throws to gene oakland and one jesse the body ventura um,
0: <laughs>
3: Sorry, guys. I was just thinking about Jesse Ventura's hair for a moment. <laughs> I thought we'd reached an all-time low. We'd hit an all-time low with Hawk's hair at WrestleMania 7. It is something else altogether. To put it into context, it is completely bold. Sides and top, apart from the back, where it is below shoulder length. It is the most horrible, disgusting, insulting perverted haircut i've ever seen in my entire life imagine that that little bit of horrible head tickling you
1: oh. so i mentioned this to uh to tom after we did the record last week i started watching what i thought was this week's show and it was slamboree 1994 and fortunately i mentioned this to tom because i then realized i was watching the wrong show but jesse ventura is on that show with this hair and i was like shit that's basically my whole episode done and if he's not and if he's not on this show with this hair and when he turned that as a man who is follically challenged i was offended for baldies everywhere because this man is a fucking disgrace an absolute disgrace I and mean, he needs to take a look in the mirror Cut his hair, have a look again, realise how much better he looks, and then get on with his life. Shit house, horrible, disgusting. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, no, you're you're right, here, are I can't deny that your assessment of Jesse but Jesse Body Ventura's hair is spot on. I don't need to I don't need to talk any further. They all they do is hype up the hotline that Gordon Soli and Larry Zabisco are currently in the process of manning. Um, and they also um, have a steak. They say they've got a steak dinner on the line for the result of the main event. They don't tell us, though, who has bet on who for that. Interesting, though, that at this point in WWE's history, they had pretty much WWE's full announcing team from the 1980s now on their show with the exception obviously of the main play-by-play guy with uh, gene oakland jesse ventura and bobby the brain heenan all on the same team
3: I, I like the fact that whenever they plug the um, the hotline, the graphic comes up, which would have had the number, and there's a little little disclaimer and stuff saying this number is no longer in action. <laughs> so in case anybody tries to phone up and have a chat with have a chat, who oh, is it? They're they're, they're talking about um, is it Larry zabisco They keep going on about being on the line, yeah. and they're going he's going to give off some real salacious stuff.
2: Yeah, there's a variety of people, and they kind of they even hype up or or advertise various events that are taking place on the hotline over the course of the next week so i think there's a gene oakland live thing and there's sting at some point as well and all kinds of weird stuff going on there they were they were flogging the shit out of the hotline basically that's all you need to know it was hogan hogan seven network-esque wasn't it Uh So the second match is Brian Pillman and Lord Stephen Regal in a match for the television title. This one goes 15 minutes to a time limit draw, just as it looks like Brian Pillman might have a chance of getting the victory. Tom, let's start with you and your opinion on this one.
3: I quite like this match, actually. Um, I think the older I get, the more of an appreciation for Regal I have. There's nobody in the history of professional wrestling that it pulls as great faces as he does. He can tell an entire story just by pulling faces. He's brilliant. He just got it. Brian Pillman was obviously very good. But this is something that I noticed about a couple of matches. It's very technical, isn't it? It's very, very map-based, very deliberate, quite slow. It does pick up the pace quite a few times. Um, But, I, yeah, I, I actually quite enjoyed this match. And I didn't, I didn't mind the time limit draw because I especially found towards the end of the match, it started... Uh, really amp up the tension of the match especially with the ring announcer kind of saying you know five minutes left one minute left 30 seconds i thought it really amped up a bit of tension for what is effectively you know a, a nothing early kind of mid-card match for the for the tv title but i yeah i quite enjoyed it in, in its entirety i quite liked lord uh, lord Stephen regal's little mate on yeah. the outside side with his little flag and overall I, I thought it was i thought it was quite a good match
1: yeah i uh wholeheartedly agree i did think that sir william was dressed as the penguin from the 1960s batman series <laughs> which i know just towards the end to echo tom's point about regal his selling is incredible in this as well he makes pillman look i mean pillman's good don't get me wrong but he makes him look an absolute million bucks uh i enjoyed when so in the uh setup, the ramp goes directly level with the ring and there's steps either side. And at one point Brian Pillman runs up one set of steps, down the other set of steps, runs around the ring a little bit, for no reason, which I thought was lovely, just because it was really stupid. And it made me think obviously, he's a uh, flying Brian Pillman, he's a bit of a loose cannon later on as his career. Uh also Brian Pillman doesn't shave his armpits which I found very disconcerting because everybody is so bold in wrestling. It kind of caught me off guard. I thought this was great, to be honest. I particularly enjoyed the fact that Heenan says that Regal should pull Brian's hair until it's straight, <laughs> which I thought was, was great. But I thought this was really good. And again, it must've been a role with the referees, Nick Patrick's mullet, Magnificent, also sporting a phenomenal moustache.
2: I got to be honest. I get Randy Anderson and Nick Patrick mixed up all the time, so I don't know which which referee was um, refereeing either one. <laughs> well, I thought it was all Nick Patrick all the way through. So. I was...
3: Yeah, exactly. I I can. It wasn't until there's was a moment where both of them were out right there that I realised it wasn't the same referee. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, who paid for the plastic surgery? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no i agree with you on on this match i thought it was really good um 15 minutes of really tidy no actually it was untidy in places but it, it helped because it made it feel like a real sporting contest which ultimately is what Regal's all about is making it look real and making it look like if he counters a hold there's a reason for it and there's a reason for his opponent being able to do the same and i just thought they they worked really well it's interesting watching regal a little bit younger than when we saw him in wwf Because by the time he gets to WWF, he's not in as good shape. Here he's in tremendous shape. Like, he looks great. And and they just have a really decent 15-minute match, which I think quite early on you realize they're building towards probably a time limit draw, which maybe takes the edge off a bit. Because they're quite, they're a bit too ready to explain that there's a 15-minute time limit here and that you know and in fairness they do do those callouts of the 5 minutes and 10 minutes throughout the show it's just in the commentary they were kind of a little bit over excited mm-hmm. about dropping that in but overall yeah i thought it was it was really good i really enjoyed it there was a lovely kind of what i would call a reverse uh, spinebuster by Regal at one point which i thought was really excellent really kind of hoist Pillman up and then drops him over his back, but onto his back. I can't, that's the only way I can explain it. It was like, a, it was like a spine buster, but behind him.
1: So you could say that he slammed his back out of his back
2: he did slam his back <laughs> yeah. out of his back that's exactly what he did so yeah no, really 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 liked it really really thought it was a really good good match and you're right Tom there's a sort of this is the present there's a presentation of pro wrestling throughout this show which aligns much more with the reputation of WCW as being the wrestling brand if, you, if that makes any sense like I think the WCW I've watched most of is later in WCW's history during the NWO times and at that point there's no way anyone can tell me that they are the wrestling brand that they have some amazing wrestlers on their roster but the big part of their show the main part of their show the the, the money drawing part of their show is the guys who could can't wrestle anymore because they're really old here almost instantly you're getting this kind of presentation of pro wrestling as sport in a way that you don't see on wwf television of the same period there's similar styles of wrestling occasionally but there is just a much more sports-based presentation of the of the wrestling which i thought was really interesting so then we get backstage mean gene oakland interviews Colonel robert parker with bunkhouse buck oakland is very tanned is the note i've got here i can't i can't say how tanned he is he really is going some um parker (laughs) says that dustin rhodes who's bucks going to be bucks opponent later on in the show is going to take a whipping and buck also gets very angry during the course of this promo uh either of you have any notes or thoughts on this bit
3: i I find it confusing obviously the fact (laughs) that he's clearly based on colonel tom parker who famously managed elvis presley and the fact that he basically says that he is the modern day incarnation of that again which i thought was just a really weird it's really strange. It seems really odd to draw attention to something that you're so clearly ripping off. But there we go. That, that that's, all, that's my only point. I, I guess really.
2: you could say the same for Honky Tonk Man, couldn't you? You could say the same for the Honky Tonk Man. There's a very similar kind of... He, he, it's very obvious what he's ripping off, and he makes light of it all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I did find amusing when I was watching this is I didn't. Um, up until uh, there's another promo, I didn't get Bunkhouse Buck's name, so I've just put Weird Manure Man um, <laughs> in my now. Um, he can't decide whether to look excited or tough, so he kind of goes through a whole gambit of emotions. He's effectively going for an Oscar, I think, during this promo. I I found the promo very confusing, but I did enjoy how excited. Oh, Bunkhouse Manure Man gets at the end. I thought, bloody hell, I'm excited now. I'm excited. I don't know why I'm <laughs> excited, but I'm bloody excited.
2: Well, also his match wasn't going to take place next. Because the next bit is the tag team title street fight as the Nasty Boys take on Cactus Jack and Max. This one goes nine minutes in length and Sags pins Foley in the aisle after after Foley is hit with a shovel to the head whilst he's led on the floor. Um, This was also I should mention as part of the street fight stipulation, falls count anywhere. Uh, Old Man, thoughts on this one.
1: You've mentioned the finish, so I'll go. I didn't like the finish. I thought it was just a bit gratuitous. But up until then, you've got the nasty boys, you've got Cactus Jack and Max Payne. I don't know who he is, to be honest, but you pretty much know what you should get. From this and i thought they did a decent job to be honest i thought it was perfectly enjoyable it wasn't um i didn't think it was gratuitous until the finish uh, like they go up to the merch stand there's um some guy selling merch maybe me think of tinky he's wearing a foam finger and i was like that's lovely <laughs> and yeah they they put someone through the merch stand <laughs> max Payne rips off the nasty boy's t-shirt and starts choking brian knobs with it which I thought was a lovely little thing. Um, There was just quite a lot to enjoy. There was a lot of silly stuff. There's a bit of a nasty bit where, no pun intended, um, Jerry sags. I think Foley's going to pile drive room and the table collapses, which is a little bit scary. But yeah, there's like a couple of chair shots with a chair that's set up to be sat on, which is a bit weird and doesn't look particularly pleasant. But overall, it felt like chaos. And the kind of, like that's obviously what you want it to be the commentators do a great job with it i think the camera work is all over the place as is the direction which probably isn't intentional but it does kind of feed into this as like a chicago street fight it's just absolutely nuts and yeah i thought why not boys have a good time just take out the finish and then we'll be done lovely old job Thomas? Yeah, it's really interesting what Old
3: Man <clears throat> said then. That's exactly what I thought when I watched it in regards to the kind of chaotic nature of it. It didn't feel like it was in any way, shape or form thought about beforehand. Mm-hmm. It felt like they just were like, go, you guys go out there and have a street fight, which doesn't necessarily make for a particularly thrilling or engaging match, but it definitely did feel a bit more chaotic and a bit more disorganized and a bit realer mm-hmm. Dare I say. Mm-hmm. The bit the old man's right, the nasty voices don't know how to do chair shots. They just don't nah. they don't have a clue how to do it. I don't know who the hell McFarley's tag team partner is. I can't even remember his name. That's Max Mac. Yeah. Um
2: who's he? Well he later would go on to be Man Mountain Rock in WWF briefly. But that's ah,
3: that's how I know him then.
2: Um but yeah, it's just yeah, it was fine. It was it was
3: a reasonably entertaining match. Again though, and this is where I question so we can talk about this later there's another very similar match later on in terms of this type of match and i'd like to kind of go delve into this a little bit deeper but that's just a little little carrot dangling out there for 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 the listeners
2: i really like this match i thought it was really fun i thought it was just a really fun eight eight minutes or so of of just people going mad <laughs> and um this is if you're going to use the nasty boys which i wish people wouldn't but if you're going to use them this is how to use in it basically just get chuck them in there and let them let them hit, hit themselves and other people with weapons um and i also thought it was a really good change of pace from the previous two matches i thought we just had two decent wrestling matches let's do something a little bit more wild a little bit more chaotic uh and they delivered and i thought that there was very little for me to dislike about it and and, and to be honest, throughout the match, I kind of just put my pen down, because I tend to take quite, quite a large amount of notes put my pen down and just let this kind of wash over my head because it was just kind of one of those matches where you just like don't want to think about it too much and in fact I ended up laughing through lots of it especially stuff <laughs> by the by the merch stand because I just thought it was great when Max Payne decided instead of slamming him through the table without anything on it he was going to slam him on the table with all the merch on it I thought brilliant love it what yeah. a great like off-the-cuff decision just to go you know what sod it I'm gonna throw him through all this merchandise <laughs> brilliant stuff
3: Go back to the last few boys not knowing, knowing how to use chairs properly. They don't know how to use tables, are they? Because there's a bit where Brian Nobbs is just walking around with a table of his head for ages, <laughs> and he just he tries to hit McFerney with it a couple of times, and he's like, Looks really unconvincing. And McFerney does his best for Bless him to make yeah. it look convincing. Um I, I
2: yeah. thought that was great too. I thought that was great too. Again, like just seeing the table used in a different way than you ordinarily mm. see it. Because I think we kind of now have got to the point where we've we've seen so many tables used that we kind of just accept the way that they are used but in this moment i thought yeah that makes that makes as much sense as putting someone through it especially as putting someone through it usually causes you yourself to have as much pain as they do so Mm -hmm. um i thought i thought yeah i I really liked it
1: one thing i forgot to note uh is early on in the match uh old jerry and max are having a little scrap outside and there is a lady being led away from the ring by security and it seems to go on for Quite a while, given this is one, especially compared to security, one reasonably small woman. It seems to take them a long time to get her away from the ringside. And I wondered, who was she after? Who do you reckon? Was she a massive Nasty Boys fan? Massive Max Payne fan? Cactus Jack? Who knows? I'll tell you what, right? So I'm watching this. Apart from the uh, little intro, it's like I've got no idea what's on there. I'm three for three here, boys. Mm. I'll be honest. I'm having a lovely old time watching this, yeah, enjoying yeah. it, aroused. <laughs> yes, definitely.
2: Agreed. Agreed. I am also aroused. Uh, Although not right right now. Not just whilst I'm watching it. Um, Backstaged, we have Jesse Ventura, Ventura uh, interviewing Johnny B. Badd. He says he wants the match with the winner of the Austin versus Great Muta match for the US title, which is the next match and lasts 16 minutes and ends when Muta is disqualified when he backdrops Austin over the top rope. The match in
3: itself was was OK. I find it I find it to be a bit slow in parts. Again, very map based. I've never seen this incarnation of Steve Austin before, so it was interesting seeing like there's a couple of moves that he does that he still continues to do as Steve Austin, such as the uh, driving elbow from the second rope, which is quite a cool move that he still did. But you can see you can see there's there's something about him in there. You can you can tell that there's something about him, but he's just not he's not got it yet. It hasn't clicked. Um, the great moves. I'll be I'd be lying if I said I knew knew much about him. But again, quite an interesting role reversal in this in that from what you would ordinarily associate with wrestling in that the Asian person's the face which didn't usually happen much especially back then um, it's quite an interesting turn but the problem I found with it is that the match was just a bit too similar in terms of it being like a technical kind of match to the Regal and Pillman match I really noticed that so I've kind of already seen this match already today and I, I wouldn't say that I loved it particularly going on to the uh, over the top rope qualification what a stupid rule that's not enforced later on in the match in the, in the card as we see so it's just daft to me what why would you why would you hamstring yourself to such a degree that you put that rule in and then only sometimes utilize it when you feel like it
2: yeah no totally and that, this is what i was bringing up during sold out is that they just they're just so inconsistently apply this rule That it just, it feels like a stupid thing. And they don't just do it during this bit of WCW. They do it later in WCW. They do it earlier when it's Jim Crockett. Like, it's just a thing that happens seemingly throughout the history of this company in all of its various forms and formats and regimes. And I'm like, just get rid of it because it's fucking stupid. And it just, it doesn't make any sense. I hate it.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. I really, really enjoyed this. I thought this was a really tidy match. Uh, and another note on the crowd. So there's a couple of things before the uh, match gets started. There's a guy holding a KFC bucket in the crowd. Uh, Austin wearing a waistcoat and black pants. As Tommy said, like some of his moveset set as well. is just foreshadowing what he would become. Uh, Michael Buffer refers to WCW as the WCW. <laughs> does, he does that multiple times. Yeah.
2: You know who else does that, don't you? It's Bret Hart. Our Hart does
3: that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why that's why Michael Buffer's the goat. And <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time that I noticed that Buffer is calling the entrances like boxing. So he says, and making his way to the ring, wearing red is the great Muhter. And I'm a bit like, what a stupid thing to point out. And then I didn't realize this until I can't remember what um what match it is that I noticed that he's actually calling it properly like boxing as i said i thought this was great i thought this was really good the commentary this is where the commentary has been good i think through the whole thing but this is where i kind of realized how good shivoni and heenan are together because they just really bounce off each other heenan's kind of trying to be silly and also trying to raise like the fact that muta may not understand the rules which i think is kind of leading to the finish but also like Uh really sticks up and they managed to get the great mutter over to someone like me, who to be honest has no idea who he is. Yeah. Didn't have a clue. I'd heard the name, but didn't have a clue. And they really managed to put him over. There are a couple of a couple of abdominal stretches, which as we touched upon in the WrestleMania 19 show between uh Albert Big Show and The Undertaker, I love an abdominal stretch. And these guys wrench him in, in particular, Austin. He has a little period where he's holding him in and he's wrenching on the ropes, and poor oh, bloody hell. It looks horrible, to be honest. And again, Heenan puts over how that hurts and where it hurts. And I was like, this is very good. Colonel Bob Parker is selling everything on the outside. He is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Just he's sells. it was very Heyman reminiscent, and he's dressed better than Heyman does. And he also takes a great boot to the head from the Great Mootown, which is lovely. I, yeah, I just really, really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was well put together. I do agree with Tom. It's very similar to the Pillman-Regal match, but I really enjoyed that as well. And I think the thing that just tips it is the commentary and the fact that they really get the talent over. The, The ending is obviously a way to... Ensure that Austin doesn't have to lose the belt because as Heenan says that if Muta were to win the belt and go back to Japan with the US title, the country is his and you can't have a wrestler role in a country. So he he couldn't take the title. Yeah, just really enjoyed it. Very much so. Well done, lads.
2: Yeah, so there's lots of things for me to pick up there. First of all, the great Muta considered possibly... Arguably the best wrestler in the history of Japanese wrestling. Certainly the first Japanese wrestler to to achieve kind of real mainstream main event level popularity in America. He had been quite a big part of Jim Crockett Promotions last few years um, and then when they became WCW in the early 90s as the great Muta. But his um, regular name was Keiji Muto um and and that's how he mainly wrestled in japan he did also have the great muta gimmick over there as well but uh he he kind of that was introduced really for to get him over with the american audience in the first place um he's been a multi-time Uh, all japan triple crown champion i think three times and uh, multi-time new iwgp champion which means he's won all the major belts effectively uh in japan certainly for the time of time that he wrestled and yeah he's he is considered one of the very best of all time um not not just in japanese wrestling for that matter second thing agree with you about Austin it's really interesting watching him here because he's so much more a wrestler like he's so much more a wrestler than he would obviously be during his pomp in WWF and we know why because you know he he needed first of all it suited the character to be a lot more one dimensional but also because he was injured and he couldn't do a lot of the stuff he had previously done before and it just wasn't as easy for him to do that stuff the match I'm somewhere between the two of you I thought it was good I thought I, I would get again if we're talking about you being three for three old man before this I'm with you I'm four for before after this one, um I put I'm a, I've got a thumbs up for it. I'm not blown away by it or anything, but I thought it was really decent. I really, you know, just watching the few moments where Muta kind of takes his pace up a, a step gives you just a little bit of a glimpse of what he's about and how good he, he he was at the time without going too far. I think the thing for me with the ending is that I hate the rule, and the reason I hate the rule is because of the inconsistent application of it. And I just think if you really want to have this rule in place. Just don't have the other wrestlers throw people out of the ring. I mean, it's really as simple as that. Just don't do it. Or if you're going to do it, do it when the referee's back is turned. Like, don't just randomly apply the the rule here and there when you want to. You've got to stick to it. Or just get rid of the rule because it's ridiculous. And there's other ways to, to keep the belt on Austin and not have him lose by DQ, for example, without... Applying this rule to it, so I just that's why I was annoyed by the ending, and I I don't like the rule at all, as I made clear earlier on.
3: I think I would have enjoyed the match more if it wasn't for the stupid ending. That really kind of I was like, I was a bit on the fence. I was like, mm, this is alright, but not great. But then the ending, I was like, oh, fuck this match.
2: I think I think the other thing is it felt like just at the point where they did that, it was just hitting a kind of exciting mm. point. Where you were going to take it up another step, and you're like, okay, this could become something very special indeed. And then cut it off with that moment. You're like, oh, what a, a disappointing uh, way to end this one.
3: It also meant that Austin couldn't have his beers. <laughs> That's,
2: true. <laughs> That's true.
1: That's when really he popped me in that. I don't quite know why. <laughs> I just love the thought of him with his flowing hair, just him and Bob Parker, just having a little brew-ski. Um
2: Backstage after this match, we've got Jesse Ventura with Dustin Rhodes. Um, They show footage of Bunkhouse Buck attacking Rhodes with a trophy on WCW Saturday night. I don't know what the trophy is. I don't think it's made particularly clear what the trophy no. is. And then we go into the next match, which is Sting versus Rick Rude. This one is for the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship, (laughs) which we'll talk about in just a minute, um, because I'm pretty sure Tom's going to have something to say about this. And this one goes 12, just nearly 13 minutes. And it ends when Sting wins the title after copious amounts of interference. We've got, first of all, Harley Race and Big Van Vader come out. Sting sees them off briefly. Um, then Rude chop blocks Sting as he's kind of uh, distracted by Race and Vader. Goes for the Rude Awakening. But by, by, by this point, Harley Race has picked up a chair and tried to hit a Sting with it. Sting kind of gets out of the, the Rude Awakening and Race hits Rude in the back of the head with the chair, allowing Sting to pin him. Tom.
3: Before we get into the match, I just want to cover a bit of Dustin Braid's promo. Oh, sorry. Do you think it was the most underwhelming feud award trophy that he hit him with? Because <laughs> that very much could have been the case. But also, there's this one bit in the promo. The, the promo's really crap. I, I had a bit of a it's more so in the match, but it's the, the seeds have been the seeds have been sown in my head at this point. Considering how charismatic gold dust was and how how much of an interesting character is and how fully into it dustin Rhodes was is he so shit in this
1: promo because he's just trying to be his dad yes that's what i took from it and also that obviously we'll get there but that to me that came across in his in-ring stuff as well like you said he's tremendous as gold dust just seems such a waste yeah um, there's also a bit where he says to uh, to our bunkhouse, or he says
3: to, to the camera to bunkhouse, uh, you're from Tennessee and I'm from Texas. You'll find out they're two different places. Yeah. I think he probably fucking knows that. For a start, they're spelled differently. I've been to both places. They are two different places. I can confirm that. And I don't think anyone has ever been to either place and thought they were somewhere else because they're miles away <laughs> from each other as well. So stupid promo, silly little wrestler. Fuck off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, Tom, the match.
3: So, the match in itself, Sting versus Rick Rude, was. Uh, I actually quite enjoyed it, to be perfectly honest. I, I, um, I've always been a big fan of Rick Rude. I quite like him. I love the way he sells an Atomic Drop. It's ab- absolutely comedy gold. And there's, in fact, a Twitter account. Which is solely uh, dedicated to Rick Rude selling atomic drops, which I would highly recommend everyone checking out. In fact, there's a move where he gets three in a row, and yes. it's just it's, it's selling of it is amazing. Um, I like to think that that was something that they were, like they were before, and we're like, "How many atomic drops do you want in this one, Rick? One, two, three? Fuck me!" That's <laughs> how we're gonna leave. We're gonna leave the fans happy tonight. Um, the match in itself was quite fun. There's a bit, bit of shenanigans in it at, at the end. There is a very tender chair shot from Harley Race in, it, <laughs> in his uh, in his Butlin's jacket. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, it, it was quite it was quite fun. I mean, I'm not I'm not a big fan of Sting. If I'm being honest, I've always thought he's a bit rubbish. There's a there's a really a really stupid spot that makes no sense in the match when Rick Rude has accidentally somehow sandwiched the referee into the uh, into the turnbuckle and then Sting does the Stinger splash obviously the, with the assumption that he can't see the referee, despite the fact that the referee's mullet is about three foot tall. <laughs> um it's it's not a bad match. I quite enjoyed it, but Sting is a bit shit, and I will also I've got to, I've got to bring this into the equation. His sharpshooter is a fucking disgrace. It's awful. He is all he does not apply it well. He doesn't sit down, he doesn't cinch it in. It's just rubbish. It's like what like when the rock puts on a sharpshooter.
2: I was gonna ask you, is it better or worse than the rock?
3: it's probably just a little bit better than the rocks. The rocks okay. is the rocks is someone laying on their front with their feet off the floor. That's mm-hmm. all that is. But yeah, it was all right. The shenanigans at the end were were a bit daft because you kind of end up in a, in somewhat of a angle, presumably where you've got a heel versus a heel. Mm. So it, it doesn't really make much sense. I know it was kind of accidental because So he moves out of the way and it hits him but it's still a bit just a bit of a weird kind of idea that you're going to leave the match in and we'll kind of go on to the the little promo bit later but Rude is evidently quite annoyed with Vader for doing that and it's the sort of thing that with most, most wrestlers you could imagine that would kind of instigate maybe a face turn but I just don't see how you can ever really have Ravishing Rick Rude as a face on Ravishing Rick Rude his WCW music is absolutely world class. I would <laughs> recommend it to anyone who simply rabbit shit. Yeah, <laughs> like that, it's fucking amazing. Um so yeah, I highly, highly recommend just get on get on YouTube and have a little listen. Also, at the time Two Cold Scorpio's music's amazing as well. He's not on the oh, screen, yes. but bear in mind two cold Scorpio. So that is that is another highlight for the match
2: for me. Interesting. I, I thought again, I thought this was another good match that I enjoyed a lot. Um I think there was something about this match that felt a little bit ragged, and therefore I really enjoyed it for that reason. Whereas Steve Austin and the Great Muta was really tidy um and really technically sound. This was a little bit less so, but all the better for it. There was a moment where Sting kind of back body drops I think it's either himself or Rude right over the top rope and it looks like for a minute they're going to like break their neck because it looks like they're going to come down on their head but they managed to grab hold of the rope and pull themselves in now I don't know if that was meant or they just got lucky and didn't injure each other but as a consequence it just it just had this feel of two guys just properly having a fight in the, in the midst of a ring, which I really liked. I just really liked the feel of it. I didn't love the ending. I thought it was a bit busy. And I also thought there was a bit strange that during this match, WCW Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle appears at ringside and then does nothing about Harley Race and Big Van Vader coming down and getting involved in the match. Uh, he just sort of sits there and watches. It's all a bit like, why are you even here? If you're not going to help out and get rid of these guys, then, then what are you doing here? But yeah, I, I like the match. I thought it was, um, I thought it was really decent. Again, not amazing, but just a really decent little match. Oh man,
1: I concur. I mean it. To be fair, we start off hot because Sting comes down wearing as many sequins as Miss Elizabeth is at WrestleMania 7 <laughs> in his jacket. Harley Race comes down before the match is started and even Michael Buffer sells it. He's like, oh, what's going on here? Don't know whether he just didn't know what's going on. And Harley Race then gets Irish whipped out of the ring almost as violently as Sergeant Slaughter at Royal Rumble 95 or 92, I forget which. 92. I'm 92, thank you. Yeah, it was just nice. A bit like you said, Tiggy. It kind of felt a, a bit raggedy Rick Rude, if you will. <laughs> I think this very much comes from a point of view that I've seen a heck of a lot more ravishing Rick Rude, especially after this match, than I have Sting. I can't figure out whether they're trying to cover some of Sting's deficiencies, because he's really not very good. He is. He does the little scream thing, which is annoying. Because it's, ah! it's like, oh, let's stop doing that. And um, he is Ric Flair in Ric Flair's later years in WWE, where he just woos through his matches, does some slaps and then goes home. Um, Rick Rude gets pantsed at one point and can then not manage to pull his trunks up because this is during the trio of atomic drops. So he doesn't really get the chance. And Bobby Heenan says, it's only 7:30 in Chicago, but did you see that moon? <laughs> Which <laughs> uh, maybe that um, yeah the bit where Harley Race and Vader come down, I was confused by Nick Bonk Winkle just in general really. I don't really I don't really know why he was there. It's a bit of a shit way to lose a title, but they obviously got where they wanted to. There were two chairs missing at the end of the match, and uh, Bobby Heenan is like, "This is an injustice! Where's my chair?" and he's genuinely annoyed where he's like where's my check but yeah i um we're five for five i'm
2: gonna i'm gonna kind of stand up for sting as well because and not that i'm a massive fan but first of all man having said that his noise is annoying you then decided to recreate for all of our listeners so i'm sure they're all very glad that you did that second thing is (laughs) second thing is that i think um I think that, this thing doesn't say like he's in
3: agony when he does it, old man. <laughs> like it's like you just burnt your hand on the fucking kettle.
2: The second thing is that I think that for me, Sting is kind of like an upscale Ultimate Warrior. Like he's 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 kind of similar. He's got the face paint. He's kind of like kind of colorful and kind of cool and got a great physique and all that. He's just better than the Warrior. Obviously, better adjusted as well as a person. And so they get real value out of him. And and not only really that, but I think some people I say I'm even doing him down there because. I think he is actually a decent wrestler who had some really good matches during his career and not just because of who his opponents were. But I'm with you. I haven't seen a huge amount of Sting. And I think that's where we perhaps are quite harsh on him because the stuff we'll have seen will have been mainly uh, his time briefly in the WWF, some of his stuff possibly in TNA, and then some of the stuff towards the end of WCW, which aren't his peak years. His peak years are earlier than that during this sort of period and the, in the years prior to this. So um, I think we kind of have to reserve judgment on Sting, and at least until during this podcast, we managed to see more of what he did in his earlier
1: years. No, too late. I've called him out now. And <laughs> I, I feel like it, it would be remiss of me to change my mind. You mentioned, obviously, his time in WWE. It's the match he actually gets injured in, but the match that he has with Seth Rollins, until he hurts himself is really bloody good so all right that's it stinks the best ever done <laughs> <laughs> and he, apl- he applies a great sharpshooter <laughs> yeah he is in many ways the bret Hart of wcw of the wcw at this point possibly better he's definitely better than wcw bret Hart.
2: The, calling him the bret Hart of wcw isn't really wrong in many respects mm-hmm. there are there are reasons to consider him the the Bret Hart of ww at this time. <laughs> he, he was the biggest babyface star of the company. That's why I'm saying that, Tom. Tom's got this look. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
2: I'm just saying that he's the main babyface of the company at the time, as Bret Hart was in WWF.
3: You're right, Tinky. Have you had a
1: liquid <laughs> breakfast or something? You've been on the sauce early today? I know you said that you were going to, but we haven't. Can you address the title?
2: Yeah. So the, the reason I thought Tom might have something to say about this is because this is clearly where where Tom's suggestion that Rick Rude had been the world champion or the WSW champion, I should say, um, came from when we did the game a few weeks back and Tom Listed Rick Rude. Um, And in fairness, it's it's easy to get mixed up because they are calling this the WW International World. Why you need both those words, I'll never know. World title. And there's also the big gold belt as well, which makes it even more complicated. What a fucking stupid name for a belt. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they
3: might have been ahead of the curve here because I did immediately draw comparisons between. The uh, you know the fact that WWE have got the WWE championship and the Universal championship yeah so they sure. and I, do, I don't know where in the pecking order is the international is it so this is this is, 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 in, quite... is this is this in the order of importance of the titles yeah I the, guess Christian so heavy yeah. uh, US international heavyweight
2: yeah I guess so the, the the thing is is this is a kind of hangover of the fact that WWE was once part of the NWA. Mm. And the other thing about that was that they owned the they owned the big gold belt, even though that represented the NWA champion. And this I'm going to get some of this wrong because I'm not entirely of okay all this history. But basically, the NWA title traditionally was the 10 pounds of gold, which you now see Nick Aldis carrying in present day NWA. But that was traditionally the NWA World Championship. Then the title became part of WCW when basically all the other NWA territories faded away and Jay, John, jim crockett was the only one left effectively um and their shows were effectively booked as nwa shows as opposed to Jim Crockett just you didn't use those words to describe them certainly on air anyway so the NWA champion was championship was their main title and then sort of in the early 90s there started to become a rift between the NWA and WCW because they are separate organizations when Ted Turner bought Jim Crockett to create WCW and so they created the WCW World Championship the main WCW title um which is what obviously Hogan would later hold and and DDP would later hold and all those guys and would be defended during the invasion angle and all that stuff. But in the meantime, they still had this belt that represented the NWA title. And even though then the um, NWA kind of left or have split from WCW and that's where you've got all the business with Shane Douglas and the ECW title that went on in like 1994 they still had this belt and they still had a title and it got given lots of different names during that period um and this was just the latest name for it was the uh the um WCW World International Global Universal um <laughs> planet. continental planet championship so yeah i mean it was it was all a bit strange i think it, it not long after this they kind of merged the main two the two main titles into one uh i don't know who they do that with because as i say i'm not as as au fait with the history as as some people but basically it's a hangover from the fact that the nwa title used to be the main ww championship Um, And that's why you would have been confused that time, Tom, because Mm. it's very easy to get confused with this stuff.
3: And and it doesn't mean that I was right, which I acknowledge that I wasn't, but I do at least feel a bit vindicated.
2: I think you absolutely should feel a bit vindicated. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is it is confusing. It is absolutely confusing, especially as this title. The lineage of this title did actually begin with the main title that WCW had at the very beginning, which makes it even more complicated.
1: I think basically what you're doing is you're fluffing Tom here he should be embarrassed for saying Rick Rude that week <laughs> embarrassed
2: um, let's embarrassed Jesus Christ let's take a quick break oh, uh, Tom's, Tom's nearly crying old man's getting absolutely like <laughs> Tom, old man is like in a rage I think we need to take a few minutes and we'll be back ah! in just a minute <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, joining me right now at a very rare appearance north of the Mason-Dixon line, the greatest promoter on the face of the planet Earth, Colonel Robert Parker, before I talk to this fertilizer salesman over here, Stoney Steve Austin Amuda uh, coming up here very shortly for the you know, United you're States. You are talking line. about a fertilizer salesman here, you know. Smell all you're manure. selling here is the dressing room inside of here. You know, today I feel like the greatest promoter of all time. Look over here when I'm talking to you. I'm filling the shoes of Tom Parker, and you know... Ever since Elvis Presley disappeared, I found myself right in the limelight of the Parker family. And tonight is no exception, because our United States heavyweight champion will be wrestling from Japan. The greatest star Japan has to offer, Great Muda. I'm sure that's gonna be an exciting event. But the one I'm looking forward to shortly after that is when Buck here takes on Dusty's puppy. I'm talking about the natural Dustin Rhodes. You're gonna take a natural whoop in the night, Rose. Am I right? Bunkhouse What about it, You know, you're talking about them sweating and stinking this way for weeks. That's the way daddy did it. That's the way Buckhouse liked to do it. My daddy told me, boy, when I was a little boy, he said, son. Good things come to those who wait. My good time is near, boy. Dustin, wrote you ten cent. Judge Thorpe, thanks you very down. much. Don't take a later. shower, or you're gonna ruin it, pal. <laughs> Let's get back to the ring.
2: Okay, welcome back. Uh we've got three more matches to cover yet uh for this show and we've got the game still to come. So plenty still to cover. We start um after the Rick Rude and Sting match where sh- we have a little bit of Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan at ringside. And this is quite an interesting point because they start talking about how Flair has offered Hulk Hogan tickets for the show to see how he beats steamboat in the main event. So obviously Flair is very confident. Um and interesting they're talking about Hogan because this is still before Hogan joined WCW um officially um but obviously he is coming later this year uh and i believe debuts at the bash at the beach that year so yeah i just thought that was quite interesting did yeah. you pick up on that
1: i did and i'm glad you mentioned it because i had a little note to ask i was like he's not signed yet has he question mark and you've answered it because you're a bloody professional i well-
2: I don't believe he was officially on WCW's roster by this point. There was obviously ongoing discussions um, and they would have taken a while because Hogan would have no doubt had some pretty hefty demands, I'm sure, to go over to WCW. But uh, yeah, they started to, um, they were starting to introduce Hogan anyway, as, as part of like a, a pr- prospective part of this roster.
3: I Whenever I think of the name Hulk Hogan now, I always think of Harley Race's gravelly <laughs> that he does on the opening vignette that Saturday night's main event that we watched the other night I don't know why and this
1: doesn't have much consequence to anyone but I thought I'd like to let you guys know oh, oh another note on Harley Race actually when he I can't believe I forgot to mention this when he comes out at the start of the Rook R- Sting match when he starts talking He's like dah, 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 dah. and he says about three words, perfectly normal, and then he's like Then he sounds like a dog eating gravel. Again. Yeah. Old gravelly dog race, they call him. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's also got a lovely
3: little tash. As well, <laughs> lovely race, <laughs> lovely, little tap. It's because of his hair colour, because and his and his skin is quite pale. It's quite hard to, it's not the most obvious. It's not like Mark Merrill's where it really stands out, or a, dare I say, Hulk Hogan's, or Hulk Hogan's. But um, it's it's there if you look for it, and if you, it's, it's like that delayed gratification you stare at Harley Race long enough you'll get that Tash and you'll think I've worked for that
2: I like to think that this is Harley Race a bit happier than he was towards the end of his WWF time where he was now officially retired he wasn't having to take bumps anymore he was able to rest up a little bit he was able to pile on the pounds a little bit and just enjoy his retirement and enjoy himself and be a manager instead wear some lovely fetching blazers Aww. I'm sure this was a great time of Harley Race's life
1: I mean you say he do not take bumps I mean we'll get to it because I've I've got a little poser for you boys where, where when we actually get to the Vader match but he definitely puts his work in he puts a shift in tonight and I'm proud of him
2: well, what's up next then is the Bunkhouse match between Bunkhouse Buck and Dustin Rhodes. This is one of the things that's been promoted highest on this show because we've had two backstage promos as part of it. This one goes for fourteen minutes. This ends when Colonel Robert Parker hands Bunkhouse Buck something, we don't know what it is, and he uses it to knock out Rhodes for the pin with a punch. Let's go to you, Tom. What do you think of this one? It was
3: shit it's really boring and you've got like gratuitous over-the-top Dustin or classic Rhodes family bloodbath that was completely unnecessary i don't even know what the move is that creates him to bleed so much and there's just a couple of bits in it which are just really like poor like there's a bit when he takes his belt off wraps it around his hands uh, this is dusty Ro- dustin Rhodes. he wraps the belt around his hands and he's there like Egg in the crowd or being like yeah I'm going to punch him with this I'm going to punch but he's got his back to camera he's working the wrong way he's like w- working to the crowd on the other side and you're like well, what are you doing there? that's just rubbish it just wasn't very good I mean it should be that Bunkhouse Buck should be called Bunkhouse Fuck because he can fuck off as far as I'm concerned <laughs> I don't know who he is I don't know who he is I don't care about him he can't even put braces on properly a new gimmick Funkhouse Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck case, fuck. And it's just, it, I don't know. It's just boring. I, I really didn't like this match at all. There's just nothing about it. There's obviously Dustin Rhodes doesn't know what to do with himself. He again is just basically trying to be another version of his dad. I mean, get him in a fucking weird, asexual gold outfit and have him crawling around and doing weird stuff and licking people and what have you and then you get the best out of Dustin Rhodes.
2: So can I clarify just one thing then about your thoughts on this match Tom? Are you saying you don't like this match? I
3: loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was shit and boring and like the handing, the manager sneakily handing the thing to knock him out with at the end when there's been all manner of weapons used in the match. This is shit and makes no sense.
2: So that bit I'm with you I think that is silly but I enjoyed this match a lot. I thought this was really quite good. I really did enjoy it. Um, The bit that you talked about, Dustin, getting uh, his self busted open was when Buck is hitting him with a what they call a two by one, which was (laughs) was like, I mean, maybe this is I've never really. I mean, I understand what two by four means. It's just the idea of the length of the wood. Is it? Yeah.
1: No, it's the um, it, yeah the fake
2: news but not being a not being a DIY expert of any kind or even a rookie for that matter having really tried to avoid DIY every single turn during my life I didn't know it I've never had really an idea what it was as you just could tell and now we break we're breaking out the two by ones that, uh, yeah, that yeah. these two are hit each other with um, but yeah just again I thought it was a really good change in pace from what we'd seen we just had two wrestling matches effectively uh, the very tidy wrestling match between Mute and Austin then a bit more of a fight feel between sting and rude and then this which was just completely different they hit each other everything it wasn't technically particularly sound it was pretty ugly but I still really enjoyed it I still thought this was a really fun brawl and they did some stuff in here that I thought popped the crowd the crowd were really into it yeah I I liked it a lot I thought it was fine I I, again I am so far every match so far I've enjoyed old man
1: so we've got the second KFC bucket in the crowd, which is always good to see. I'm guessing that the two KFC buckets probably formed a tag team.
2: I'm assuming these references to Colonel Robert Parker, the KFC buckets. Yeah. I'm assuming oh, yeah. are, I'm assuming are WCW's version of Jerry Lawler, the Burger King.
1: Yes. Excellent. Well done, Tinky. Well done. See, that's why he's involved. I knew it was a reason. Uh, so before I get into my views on the match, Dustin Rhodes is wearing jeans. And he's wearing knee pads over his jeans, which makes sense. Don't get me wrong, but you imagine the denim chief in it'd be fucking poor, <laughs> awful. His knees must have been in a terrible state. Um, I enjoyed this. I thought it was absolute shit, but like in a good way. One gripe I do have is so older Dustin gets some powder out, which obviously he allegedly would use later in life for a different way. He's got it in a little packet. Uh, Tony Schiavone says what's he got there and Bobby Heenan says that's his will as if he's signing X. he's going to pass away in the match which is lovely. Disappointingly Dustin then throws the powder into Bunkhouse's face it has an effect for all of about four seconds and then Bunkhouse starts whipping rose with his belt which looks absolutely awful there's a magnificent looking low blow in the match which i i enjoyed and uh there's also a bit where uh dustin takes off his boot and drops from i think it's the second turnbuckle yeah and it looks tremendous it looks really good it looks really real um i also like that there's a bit where colonel bob gets involved, and just these little things that maybe lead me to believe that Bunkhouse isn't an absolute shithouse, is he moves really slowly, there's no hurry, and it allows time for Dustin Rhodes to realistically recover and kick out. I didn't understand the thing, I'm guessing it's brass nuts that he gives him, but Bobby Heenan, I think, says it on the commentary. He's like, why are they hiding it? You're allowed to do it mm-hmm. in the rules? I kind of like to go to Tom's point. I was very intrigued by Bunkhouse Buck because I thought he was actually pretty decent yeah. in, in this type of match. So I thought, I wonder what he's done in his
2: past. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I'm going to take you back to June 2010 on SmackDown. <laughs> Jack Swagger's dad's turned up. It's bloody Bunkhouse Buck. What's he <laughs> doing here? Really? really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But evidently Jack's not happy to see his dad because he abandoned him to get slammed and tombstoned by Kane. But worry not, three months later, like a good dad, he's come back, he's forgiven Jack. He's come back into his life, <laughs> but then he gets abandoned again to get beaten up by MVP. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. well, Funko's
1: swagger's not had much luck, has he? No, I, I can imagine that he'll probably be in the Hall of Fame next year.
2: I hope so. Just
1: for this performance alone, so it annoys Tom. That would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Again, they worked hard, these lads. I enjoyed it. And it gave me another chance to see old Colonel Bob selling outside. He's tremendous. Like this guy, I would watch him sell everything outside the ring. It's just really good. What well up, Bob? Interesting. So we were quite split on that match
2: uh, in yeah. general. Um, Tom's very down on it. Me and old man are quite quite up on it, which is which is interesting we next up come to about another backstage segment this time jesse ventura is with rick rude rude says that he didn't want any help during the match against sting and and then vader uh, confronts him they get into a pull-apart confrontation where all the heels try to stop them from going at it any thoughts on this this bit I never thought
3: i was gonna get to see brian Knobbs in a towel <laughs> I'll be honest. It's really strange because everyone else is completely normally dressed. So and I guess it makes sense, you're in a locker room, do you know what I mean? Like you'd be showering or whatever. But I love the fact that he's in a towel on a
1: towel, mate. He does not carry it like a Valvinus does, does he? No. <laughs> it's it's quite a small towel, which does lead me to believe that he was legitimately in the shower and then they were like, Hey, hey, yeah, get over it. And he was like, oh fuck no! He just grabbed a flannel just to cover his just to cover his modesty.
2: <laughs> I think the interesting thing about this is that uh, I think well no actually I'm going to talk about that later on because I think that's kind of a, a of a end of the show sort of thing. But I I think so for example with Rick Rude they obviously were setting something up, but this isn't long before he has to retire because mm-hmm. I did um, wonder that because what happens is basically he wins the title back from uh, Sting in a match in Japan. As part of the working relationship, um, WWE had with I think it's New Japan at the time, and in that match he actually injures injures his back and has to and that, and that effectively retires him. So I don't know whether they were heading towards a Rick Rude babyface turn or they were just going to lead to a hill versus hill kind of feud between Rude and Vader, which which wouldn't be totally out of the normal for WWE. They had had a number of matches between Flair and Vader um, in the previous year, so and that was kind of hill versus hill. Although Flair kind of flipped during that period, as he was wont to do throughout this period, to be honest, he just flipped back and forth when they needed him to. So I don't know what the plan was there, but yeah, it's not long before they not long after, sorry, that Rude has to retire. And that's that's obviously a real disappointment.
3: But could you imagine the damage that Vader would have done to Rick back though? Oh
1: my gosh. Okay.
3: It was quite it was quite good. But again, yeah, it leads onto that weird thing where you're like, oh, that's a bit of a weird storyline coming out of this. But yeah, you kind of covered it all there. But I do, li- I do like the, the the idea of all the heels being in a dressing room together. We've discussed this yeah. in the past. But mm. I, I, do, I do quite like it. It's just that, that kind of like stupid, slightly corny, goofy idea that all the heels are mates and all the baby faces are, are yeah. mates as
1: well. You know, I quite like that. Makes it feels a bit old school. It's funny. Since um, that's, that was pointed out in one of our early episodes, it's something I, I actually check for now to see who is there. Like normally it'd just be like, oh, yeah, they're getting pulled apart by people Now I check. So I, these wrestling companies were paying attention because (laughs) if, if I get a healing with the faces or vice versa, I'm not going to be happy.
2: Well, next up, there's footage shown of Super Bowl from February where during a match between Vader and Ric Flair for the WWE title in a cage match, which the boss was referee for, the boss and Vader had a confrontation which leads to our next contest. The boss, who is of course the big boss man, against the big van Vader. This one goes for nine minutes and ends when Vader hits first a Vader bomb and then a moonsault on the boss for the victory. Oh man, let's start with you this time.
1: Well, it's sold as a gigantic grudge match, mm-hmm. and they really want to put over how big they are, which is good. I quite enjoy it because they are by far the biggest lads on the show, so why not enjoy it? One question: Oh, oh, big bubba boss man comes down. Right, this is the first time I've ever thought this. So he's swinging his nightstick around, which isn't a euphemism. Um. The twirly stuff that he does, is it impressive? Because it looks like he's just holding the handle and then just swinging it around. That's basically what it looks like. And then he does that. I say that. That's a terrible thing for an audio experience. (laughs) (laughs) So where he holds the shorter end of the nightstick and he holds it like against his arm, he's spinning it around via the handle and he's just moving his... In this case, right arm, up and down, basically, laterally. Kind of like he's beating off a horse, I suppose. But, yeah, I was like, is it impressive? Well, I'll
2: put it this way. Whether or not he it is easy to pull off, it looks impressive.
1: Yeah, that's, so, fair. that's, yeah, that's
2: fair. Ultimately, who cares? What's the difference? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you
3: guys might, you know, second guess me on this. His gimmick looks quite familiar <laughs> <laughs> to me at this point, and I can't quite put my finger on it.
2: No, I, I agree. I, it, it, there's, something, there's something there, mm-hmm. but I, I, I'm just not quite getting it.
1: No, I'll tell you who gets it, and that's Harley Race. He gets all of Vader. So when Big Bubba Boss Man is making his entrance, Vader goes out to the ramp to meet him. They turn around, Harley Race is there, because why not? And he holds Big Bubba Boss Man. Big Bubba Bossman gets in the way, and Vader, rather than just clotheslining, which would be tough anyway, given Vader's rep, he j- Vader just splashes him and he takes all of it. Yeah. Which leads me to a question. So, after the match starts, you obviously see Vader throwing some punches which look awful to take. Just horrendous. So, up to this point, Harley Race is taking a bit of, bit of treatment on the show. So, I wanted to ask you boys, you've got two choices. So, you have to take a series of punches from Vader as Big Papa Boss Man does in the corner. You're talking fists, forearms, everything. Or... You have to play the Harley Race role on this evening and take some of the treatment that he's got. So you've got those two choices. But I do want to make sure you know that you can wear Harley Race's red jacket. <laughs> so yeah, well, I don't know if that's going to swing you. That
2: swings it for me. I'm I'm all about Harley Race's jacket. Yeah, I think I'm going with Harley Race because mm. I think Vader's punches are notoriously stiff and I think everything else there's a chance that people are taking care of you. So I'm going with being Yeah, Harley Race.
3: yeah I second that as well. I mean there's there's a bit in the match when he is just full on just Punching boss man, and I think the boss man gives him a little receipt, and then Bailey just goes back even harder. It's ridiculous. Um, it is. I do you know what? I really enjoyed this match. I I actually really liked it. It was it was completely different from the rest of the matches. We'd seen a couple of technical style matches. We'd seen a couple of like hardcore matches for lack of a better term. But this match was just two big fuckers to sit in each other. Love Bossman getting into the ring and obviously you know getting on the bottom rope to give a little <laughs> bit of love to the fans. Yeah, I just quite liked it actually. I, I quite enjoyed this match. It was nothing. Someone said in one of the other previews, "This ain't going to be pretty." Mm.
0: Look, like
3: we knew that. You know that going into any Vader match. You to some extent, you know that going into a Bossman match. What I didn't like is what happened after the match, where he basically is just hammering the shit out of um, Vader with the no no hammering the shit up high, race. He's giving his kidneys a real working over with the nightstick, <laughs> his boss man, for no reason. Because let's be honest, he lost the match clean after the uh, after the moonsault. And then old uh, what's his name, Bockwinkle gets into the ring takes him to the back, and then basically takes his name from him. And says you are no longer the boss. <laughs> yeah. You are no longer the boss. And evidently, and I just am uh, looking at the Wikipedia page afterwards. Obviously, obviously because like WWE were having the same thoughts as me, being like this looks quite similar to our gimmick with him. And then hey, he had to remove that gimmick and became something else. But it was just really weird because <laughs> he's like, I'm gonna take <laughs> he's like confiscates, he's like, it's like you know when you see in a cop show when he's like, give me a gun and your badge, you know, and they put it on the table. It's the equivalent of that, but it's give me your nightstick and your handcuffs and your name. Yeah. And now you go off,
1: nameless one, and go into the into the ether with the rest of well, the ship munchers without a name. And Jesse Ventura refers to the nightstick as the wand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he couldn't remember the name of it, could he? he, he, he really it's, it. It's, it's baton or the wand. They've taken it from him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I mean I I agree. I think this is a great little match. If it had gone more than eight minutes, I'd be like, this is this is the best match yet on the show. I thought it was cracking. I thought it was just great change of pace again. So again, some really good variety on this show, and they just they just beat the shit out of each other, which is which is is a proper hoss battle it's like two just two guys just absolutely going at it just smashing the crap out of each other and it ends with vader doing not only the vader bomb but then the fucking brilliant moonsault he does at his size just it's just amazing on the thing about the boss and having to change his name as we said earlier on at least they explained it they didn't just make him somebody else he would um be renamed the guardian angel after this point
0: That's
3: phenomenal. <laughs> oh, did he wear like a berry? Like the Guardian Angels like in the eighties or whatever it was in the seventies, that street gang. You ever heard of them? They were like a they were like a gang who handed out like street justice in New York or something like that in the seventies and eighties. And they wore boots like cargo shorts, a vest with braces and like a maroon berry. <laughs> a very strong look for a group of vigilantes.
2: He does indeed wear a beret. Oh, my God. Look at that for uh, a reference. So, yeah, that's what he turns up as afterwards, after he is stripped of the boss name as a consequence, obviously, of the suit that seemingly WWF are about to file against them for... Gimmick infringement. Um, oh man, you didn't get to tell us about what you thought of the match itself.
1: I echo both of you. I thought this was tremendous. I love the fact that Vader's mask falls off immediately as soon as he gets in the rain. Right, it just falls off. It's like, come on, come on, big van. So it's billed as the gigantic grudge match, and it just lives up to that. As you said to you, they just beat the shit out of each other. I wasn't a big fan of Big Bubba Boss Man kicking out of the Vader bomb, but to see that moonsault, like, he is far too close to land it as perfectly as he does. It's incredible. I was legitimately... I can't remember the last time I saw Vader well watched a Vader match to be honest let alone did his Soul, and it's incredible.
2: I think the other thing is is that you get an example here and I, I, I love Bam Bam Bigelow but you get an example here of why Vader really did go further than Bigelow like he is just phenomenal like he is just wonderful and he not only in terms of what he does in the ring fantastic looks brutal looks like a monster but the presentation as well like he feels important he feels like a monster feels it just feels like this is a really great wrestler and he then does great things in the ring and they have here what i can only imagine has got to be pretty close to the boss man's best ever match that i've ever seen him in um because it's just great it's just really really good Um, i said nine minutes if it had been another three four I'd be like, yeah, this is phenomenal.
1: It's interesting you said that, because I meant to say this after the Nasty Boys match. Is that their best match ever as well, do you reckon? Definitely.
2: Yeah. It's re- I mean, it's very enjoyable. I mean, I I really like the match of WrestleMania 7 against Iron Foundation, so I don't know. I think they're close to being on a par, those two. Mm,
1: that's fair. Two very fair. different <laughs> matches. Very different yeah.
2: matches, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and also that's a match we talked about about a month ago. I completely forgot about
2: it. was <laughs> good to know you're on the ball, old man. <laughs> So next up, we have Gene Oakland on stage, and he says Sting will be on the WCW hotline after Spring Stampede. So again, they're still shilling the shit out of uh, the hotline. Then we have backstage Jesse Ventura with the boss. As you said, we've already covered that, where he stri- Nick Bockwinkle strips the boss of his handcuffs, his nightsticks, and his name.
3: We, we've often criticised Jack Tunney for not having much charisma in terms of an authority figure. Nick Bockwinkle, oh my goodness, you don't know what he's fucking saying after the time.
2: I don't agree. I thought he was quite good. Really? And and I also think... That it helps that I know a bit about who Nick Bonk Bonkwik, Bonk, 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 <laughs> a bit about who Nick Bock is, um, and was prior to his tenure as WWE commissioner. He was, in fairness, one of the best wrestlers in the world when the AWA existed, and um, was one of their top draws there. He was effectively their Ric Flair, um, and he was phenomenal. And I think he's not bad. I think everything he says here is articulate at least he does he's not like jack tunney who is tripping over his words and can't can't figure out what he's trying to say um i'm not saying he's amazing but he doesn't have a lot of chance to shine here he's just a guy that's handing out the the edicts that he has to hand out
3: and why does his hair look
2: like cauliflower cheese (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that is something i can't explain but it did make me feel hungry so we <laughs> so we're at the main event which is the nature boy rick flair versus Ricky St- steamboat for the wcw world title i'm going to fast forward to the end as i always do and you guys are going to fill in the blanks for me so this one goes for 32 minutes and ends when uh, Ricky Steamboat double under hooks Ric Flair, rolls back into a pin, but both of their shoulders are on the mat, and the referee counts both of them down for a double pin. Thomas, let's start with you.
3: I thought this match was really boring. I watched it twice now because I fell asleep the first time <laughs> I watched it.
2: I just, I just found it really
3: dull. I found it to be incredibly one-paced. It never really picked up. I don't know. There was, just, there, was there didn't really seem to be any real intensity to it. There didn't seem to be and I didn't care about it at all. Now, admittedly, we're talking about people that, you know, obviously we don't have that sentimental attachment to watching these old matches where you would care about it. But it all kind of they didn't do a good job in kind of hyping up the match as to why you should care about it. I thought the bloody in the opening intros from Michael Buffer were bloody awful as well he's like he adds pros to it he's like mm. and rick flair remembers this match
2: from five years ago and they like, you're like hey does he fucking know that um yeah. like he I doesn't he it. doesn't know that he's just been given some notes yeah
3: but and I, I don't know i just finally thought and you know my thoughts on ricky steamboat i don't. this has done this match has done nothing to change my opinion he's only got like three moves it's in this match in particular it's a chop a jumping chop and a crossbody. like i just think he's shit and he and he and do you know what? even his kid's are sick of him because his kid's not involved in this <laughs> fan match. <laughs> oh yeah so even his kid's like i don't want to be seen with you you're a like charismatic void and i don't know i just uh oh, i didn't like it there's too many like figure lots of figure four have you ever seen a match won by figure four i was thinking about this earlier i don't think i've ever seen a match win with figure four leg lock
2: no, I don't think so. So again, Tom, can I just clarify again one one, one thing because I didn't quite understand. Are you saying that you didn't like this match?
3: Yeah, I didn't
2: like it. I just, I don't know. I just thought it was a bit
3: shit. Also, there's a couple of bits in there where people get thrown over the top rope. No one's disqualified. Yeah. And the ending is absolute flannel. It, <laughs> yeah, it's just so crap. Like the the backs is like it's, it's that weird um there was a double ch- chicken wing and then just they both fall back really unconvincingly and both of them mats down it was it, it was worse it, it was a worse attempt at a bridge than that greg valentine one that we saw the other week against <laughs> Beefcake. like it was just crap and then it's really like the end of it it's really messy and they don't explain it very well and it's all just it, it seemed to me like a typical wcw balls up Towards the end, I, st- I didn't think it was very good at all, and I said I watched this match weapon twice. So
1: pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt, what was your, what was your thoughts? The build for the match, what from what I can understand, of the match is that so we covered Clash of Champions five. That is the week before the Showtime Rumble, and Steamboat. My understanding is wins that yep. match at the Showtime Rumble, and it's basically Ric Flair doesn't want to lose in Chicago again. That's pretty much the build to the match, I think, which is flimsy, but I'll take it. At least it's something. I feel like it's a match because it's a legendary feud. But I feel like it's like a nostalgia trip for people. It feels quite out of place on the card, I think, as well. I think it's too older. I say older. I think Ric Flair's 45 at this point, so he's not old, old. But they're from like a previous generation and I know both of them would wrestle for years to come after this but it feels like a nostalgia it's also a match and I think this plays into what Tom said about the pacing as well this is a match they could have had with their eyes closed and the crowd lap it up they pop for the figure four I don't really understand why when Steamboat puts on a figure four my dear god it's like they go absolutely bananas It's okay. As I said at the time, I didn't know what was on the card. Obviously, now this match is on the card. Didn't know how far I was in, and I had to pause it for a piss just as Ric Flair made his re entrance so I could see how long the match was likely to go. And I do think that that affected my viewing experience. I think the finish may be a play on a bit of a screwy finish from their match in '89, but I'm not definite on that because I can see no other reason for the end as it is because it doesn't really make any sense and the other thing that I got from it is like this is a legendary feud and I I don't have any issue with the wrestling again but if you're going to revive a legendary feud you've got to have D'Lo and V'Lo and um, D'Lo and V'Lo uh, di- <laughs> <laughs> I, I fucked that I bloody ruined it so yeah yeah, you've just got to revive Dilo, Brown and Val Venus haven't you if you're going to have <laughs> A legendary feud come by and i can guarantee they wouldn't have got 32 minutes but they would have done more with it
2: (laughs) okay so my thoughts on the match is is really good i thought it was really, really really good i really enjoyed it i thought obviously you're right they're absolutely drawing on their classic feud from the late 80s they are just revisiting it i think that other than just what you said about why they're fighting each other, it's also for the title. And I think this is perhaps the most fundamental difference between WCW and WWF, is that WCW, because their presentation is far more sports-based, they don't necessarily build towards matches in a personal way every time. Sometimes you're just having the match for the title. It's just a different presentation. And they get the investment into those matches through caring about who is champion and who wins matches as opposed to whether you care about the personal issue between the two, which they already have built into the match because of their previous history and the fact that they'd later become friends together. But but now they kind of are going back to being in uh, opposition for this one match. But I thought it was a really good match, let down by the end. I thought the end was really poor. And for a number of reasons, so I thought it was poor. First of all, if this had been Ric Flair against let's say Steve Austin or William Regal, Stephen Regal, as he's called on the show, obviously, uh, or any other, the younger guys on the show. I, and they did this. I'd be like, that makes sense. You've just presented somebody as the equal of Ric Flair, but kept the title on him. That makes perfect sense. But Ricky Steamboat doesn't need that. He's already presented as the equal of Ric Flair. We know that. And we know this, and we know that because we know this match is going to go more than half an hour. And, People are expecting it to go more than a half hour even before this match started, regardless of whether they saw the time left on the pay-per-view mm-hmm. of the video. Um, and not only that, Ricky Steamboat's not going to be a major star in the future. Like he's had his main years. You I think said earlier on that they both go on for many years after this. Steamboat doesn't. Steamboat doesn't really wrestle very much for very long after this point. Mm-hmm. Flair obviously does. But Steamboat's not so you're you're not building someone. You don't need to protect him. So just have Flair win have flair win clean if you go 35 minutes it doesn't it doesn't devalue steamboat or what he's done or what he he's done in the past so and not only that but it's not like they are then planning to have a rematch at the next pay-per-view between these two they do have a rematch but it's on wcw saturday night their weekly television program completely throwaway and so i just don't think it's worth sullying the main event of a pay-per-view to have a rematch on your free television show i just think that's really poor other than the end though really liked it really really enjoyed it thought it was an excellent match you're right they don't do lots of different moves but i think i would say that that's the same with flair neither of them do lots of different moves but it's just the the pacing the drama and the way that they build the match and it do they slowly build the pace it doesn't like click into like suddenly they go into a really fast pace it gets slowly quicker and quicker and quicker as it goes on
1: i think because this match is so different to in particular the last the three matches previous, I think it just feels a little bit, it feels like they put the brakes on. And I think that's why I kind of struggled with the um, slower pace. If it, I, gen, I think there is a really tremendous 20-minute match in there. But I think given the shorter matches, I think it just kind of feels a little, not out of place, that's not fair to the guys, but... I think it's just placed in the context of everything that's gone before it. I think it feels so different, which isn't, it's not really a criticism of the lads, but yeah, it's kind of just how I viewed it. Yeah,
2: I, I didn't. I didn't think of it as standing out at all. I thought like it sits perfectly comfortably next to Regal and Pillman and Austin and Great Muta for me. Like it just didn't feel like a. Again, it felt like they were going back and forth between the wrestling hmm. slash sports presentation of this stuff to then the the chaos and back. The only criticism I might have of that is the order of the four matches that precede this. You have two wrestling matches, then two more if you like, hardcore-based or brawling-based matches. If you'd have put Bunkhouse Buck and Dustin Rhodes before Sting and Rick Rude, then I think that the, the ordering might have just been a little touch better. But for me, I didn't think it stood out. And I also think that there's something to bear in mind that the, what Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat are going for here is not instantly as you start the match the first 10 minutes is supposed to be part of the cool down process, you've just had a bunch of matches and you've mm-hmm. all like, lots of title matches, a bit of chaos in the bunkhouse buck, Dustin Rhodes, the, the absolute brutalism of Vader and the boss, so you're kind of like okay we're going to take you down for 10 minutes, you don't need to get too excited about this, although the fans are very excited about it in, <laughs> in attendance, but you can sit there and just kind of like sit back not get too excited about it and then the story they tell slowly draws you in and towards the end you're like okay well this is this is great they're really heading for a, a, an interesting finish as i say it's just really let down by the finish and i think for that's my personal view anyway i think that, that the main event is really let down by that finish but otherwise i really enjoyed it
3: more more to the finish as well if you're in the crowd we'll shit wait to leave to finish the pay-per-view as well yeah, agreed this is a mess non, non-finish I think we're to-
2: I think whether you're in the crowd or you're watching at home on pay-per-view, it's a really bad finish. And really interestingly, after the match, so Bobby Heenan is asking about what's going on. They talk to Nick Bockwinkle and all stuff. Bobby Heenan throws a tantrum at the end of the, mat, the, end of the show because he's like, well, hang on, you telling me that this result could change in six days' time. And he's just channeling everyone watching the show, which is mm. we've just watched these guys go at it for 32 minutes, and you're telling me that you're not going to tell us the result until next week's free television show? Why should these people buy the pay-per-views if this is what you're going to do? Yeah. Like, That's oh. where I feel it's a really bad ending.
3: Just going on to uh, Bobby Heenan and Tilly Fury, they then kind of close up the show and you get end credits, which is a lovely little touch, which you don't often get these days when yeah. you never got in WWE. Yeah. Um, there's there's a bit I meant to mention earlier on where uh, Tilly Fury is talking to the camera and Bobby Heenan does the old rabbit yeah. ears behind his head and then has a little chuckle to himself which is
2: lovely. I think Um, they work really well together. I think that they, Tony Schiavone makes him, makes it look like he's really kind of like, kind of rolling his eyes at Bobby Heenan all the way through. There's a couple of times where they're both looking at the camera and he, and Schiavone knows Heenan's doing things behind his back and he's kind of being a bit silly and Schiavone's kind of rolling his eyes. And I just thought they, they work well together. They, they, they're they're a good act.
1: This felt like a golden pairing that if I'd watched more I may have been proved totally wrong, but if I'd watched more, I would probably hold them in the same esteem as maybe even JR and the King. I think I think they are tremendous together.
2: I think on that point, I think I don't know because I haven't seen a huge amount of them at this period of time. The problem is that what I've seen most of them together for is the stuff that Tony Schiavone isn't particularly excited about or happier with. Like he he didn't like the less wrestling based presentation that came later. And at the same time, Bobby Heenan's well past it by the time they get to that NWO stuff. So all the stuff I've seen is them Tony Schiavone not being motivated and Bobby Heenan not being able to do what he used to do
3: and usually with another person that's right yeah which which for me I don't like a three-man announced team I think it upsets the dynamic too much unless they've got it in specific roles so I used to like it when they'd get Mike Tenet in for the Cruiserweight stuff because it felt like it was slightly different and he'd be almost like the analyst of it but yeah generally I don't like a three-man announced team
1: which is weird because that's kind of what we are yeah (laughs) so when you mention Mike Tenet all I could think about, Tom, was your impression of Don West. <laughs> oh
3: yeah, yeah. When he when he when he'd get really carried away, and he he'd be like, he'd be like, oh my God, he starts so quick, he's so agile, he's so quick, he's so unbelievable fast, and he's so good. <laughs> oh, all right, all right, Don. What's happening to your voice there, mate? They,
2: they they did have a habit those two on TNA of just shouting pretty much the entire way through a show, and and I think it got over the top. <laughs>
3: There's <laughs> a bit in, in I think it's the match, the first match between Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe, where where Don West he, he goes, so I think Kurt Angle was trying to get Samoa Joe in the ankle lock, and Samoa Joe like hits him in the nuts and get him, gets him into like the rear naked choke. Uh, the is it the cocaina clutch? Is that what they call it? And yeah. he goes, um, he goes, oh my God, he tried to get me ankle
2: lock, Samoa Joe, can him in the say anything <laughs> classic classic okay so let's get your overall thoughts on the show including your match tonight and your rating out of 10 uh let's start with old man
1: tom touched upon the end credits so it the show does end on a bit of a flat note but the guitar over the end credits mm. is fucking come on i thoroughly enjoyed this i really really i think that's probably come across i was not Is slow-paced, as I think the main event is. I I didn't find it boring. I just didn't find it particularly engaging. There's short, punchy matches. As I said, slow's a little in the main event, but minor gripe. Shivoni and Heenan are tremendous. I do believe that in different hands, given my preconceived ideas of WCW, I would not have been as willing to go with the flow, which says more about me in the presentation of the show. Now, much of the Night is a tough one because there's Austin Muta, Vader Boss. To be honest, any any of the undercard. But I think I'm going to go Fly and Brian and Lord Steven Regal. And in terms of a rating, I'm going to give it a good solid 7 out of 10. To be honest, touch and go for an 8. But I don't feel like it's at the level of WrestleMania 19 or WrestleMania 30 that I gave 8s.
3: Thomas uh i'm gonna go with a five on this one um it didn't meet my expectations as i thought it would i thought it'd be a bit sillier, a bit daft and i think i'd have more fun watching it than i did that being said it's not bad at all that's why it's smack bang in the middle for me an average preview i'm not ever going to go back and rewatch this i i wasn't bored really at any point until The main event which I really did struggle through Twice as I mentioned earlier Um, The high points For me are probably Brian Nobbs in a towel uh, (laughs) uh, Jesse Ventura's hair I think it's fair to say we watch wrestling in very Different ways Um, uh, But look I I didn't mind I didn't mind it but I won't go back and watch it again I think my match of the night would be It's a tie really between Regal and Pillman and Vader And the boss I think I'm gonna go with Vader and the boss just because it felt completely different to every other match on the pick view. So that's why I'm going with Vader defeating the boss.
1: That's fair. That's <laughs> with, a, fair. with a
3: Vader, with a Vader sword, and then the one victory. Vader
2: <laughs> Lovely. And then
1: the victory. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> <laughs> it's the way that he just keeps adding stuff to the end of the match.
2: <laughs> um. I could have picked a number of different matches as match of the night. I'm going to go with the main event as match of the night because I really did enjoy it. And I really enjoyed a lot of the others. But I thought they went 32 minutes. Like I'll give them, I've got to give them credit for that. And it is, for me, the best match on the show. But it's also the match that takes it down a notch in my rating. And that might sound a bit contrary. But I'm giving it an eight. And I was close to giving it a nine. I would have given this show a nine had they ended it ended that main event better than they did. And honestly, that's the only reason it didn't get a nine is because of that ending. I, I was close to giving to giving my third nine out of ten in a row on this show. Um, that's how that's how good I thought it was. Uh, the overall, as I said, the show just is really good in terms of the variety they give us. You get wrestling match, bit of chaos, couple of wrestling matches, another bit of chaos, wrestling match. Hospital, battle then the main event with like you know 30 minutes long storytelling epic kind of presentation love it i thought it was i thought all of that was really good tom you want to say something
3: i think you pronounced hospital wrong
2: <laughs> <laughs> and as i say all of that added up to me is a very good show there wasn't a single match i didn't like start to finish every single one gets thumbs up from me and as i say the main event i thought was cracking and so it's an 8 out of 10 for me, and that is my match the night. But it's really interesting that we have such different perspectives on the show. And I think partially it might be a consequence of maybe a reflection of how much each of us really enjoys WWE's presentation of wrestling com- compared to the more traditional presentation of wrestling that you get here with WCW. Because that is the big difference isn't it is that the, the presentation of this show is almost all geared towards that sports presentation and a lot a lot of the way away from the entertainment part and i guess this is why people talk about wrestling and sports entertainment and the difference between the two and i think let's even i think you can even see it in today's wwe that the, there's such a difference now but by the way that people expect wrestling to be presented because of the way wwe's done it for the last 20 years and been unopposed that it's difficult sometimes to get into the mode of something which is presented completely differently
1: Mm. yeah very much so i was very surprised how much i enjoyed this Mm. like really really surprised because i didn't have a clue what what it was going to be going into this and i was kind of with it within 10 minutes i think i think by the end of the first match i was at "Hello." Want to submit? it To be honest, I was in as soon as I saw Jesse Ventura's hair and then Johnny B Bad's outfit, <laughs> and I just kept riding that wave.
2: I think I think partly as well is that that is a key part of this because for you, oh man, if you'd have come across this and it was all guys that you hadn't heard of, then regardless of how good the matches were. You'd have been like, oh, what? But on this show, you've got Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, Mean Gene Oakland in key spots in terms of the announcing. You've got Flair, obviously, that you're very familiar with. You've got the boss from WWF when you liked it. And then you've got Austin and Dustin Rhodes and Mick Foley and some of the biggest names of WWE during the Attitude Era before they got there. So there's just so much to invest in um yeah. in terms of uh, in terms of the people you know and that brings me to the bit i kind of held off talking about bef- before which is that this is almost the end of this version of wcw because oh.
1: what a bloody because... waste I, I literally just got into it <laughs> without well, <laughs> well, saying But that's my point is that it is a waste
2: because here you've got all this great wrestling talent. You've got Austin, you've got Foley, you've got Regal, you've got Pillman, really great up and coming talent. You've got Vader, who's amazing. You've got Flair, who's still capable of of having great matches. You've got Sting, who's super over as a babyface. And what's about to happen is Hogan's going to come in and he's going to change it all. The presentation is going to go to being... WWF from five years previous very very quickly after this point so Hogan comes in not long after the show wins the world championship on his debut match against Ric Flair they he then headlines that year's Starcade. do you know who against uh Beefcake Brutus the Barber Beefcake that's the main event of the Starcade of this year which when you compare that the idea of that match against what you've just seen on that Spring Stampede show it says everything about how quickly this moves away from what it was. I think um I'm not sure exactly what show it is. I think it might be Halloween havoc the same year. Steve Austin loses the u s title to hacksaw Jim Duggan in about twenty seconds. basically, it just transforms into something completely different and it and I think it's a thing that people really felt at the time a great shame because. And and when you look at it retrospectively, there's a sense that actually what WWE did is go, we'll have a bit of that. We will do what you were looking like you were going to do at this point, where you've got this great roster of really talented guys with some harder edged wrestling as well mixed in. We'll take all that and we'll put it on our show and make it the central part of our presentation. And that won them the war against WCW. So it just feels like a really interesting snapshot in time of where WWE was and, and where they kind of went wrong with it, even though obviously Hogan was an important part of the puzzle to getting them to be majorly successful at one point. So, yeah, just a, just a really interesting moment in time, I think.
1: It is interesting. And I'm a little bit sad as well now because I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. And it's funny what Tom said. This is, I think, the first show that we've done, even like WrestleMania 19 and WrestleMania 30, I wouldn't necessarily do as But I might one day go back and watch this show. I think that's fair. And when I do, I'll tell you all about it.
2: I'm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think we've just about covered everything that we can cover for Spring Stampede. So it is time for the game. And, old man, I believe you are hosting this week. So what have you got for us? Have you got anything for us? Have you remembered that you are the host?
1: I have remembered. And I've also remembered that it's Steve Lombardi's 60th birthday today, which is wonderful. When
2: you say today, you mean the recording date?
1: No, I mean the day that this goes out. So if you are... Very sensible. And you wait for 5 p.m. British time on a Sunday for a new episode to drop. If you listen in that golden few hours, wherever you are in the world, and you can uh, you can celebrate Stephen Lombardi's birthday with me, <laughs> because I'll be doing a uh, live watch along of me dressed as the Brooklyn Brawler rolling down some stairs.
2: <laughs> Hang on, you're gonna you're going to be doing the watch along of yourself.
1: Yes. which means i'm not going to be doing anything
2: interesting okay what what have we got in store for us
1: so we're looking at grand slam champions in wwe slash f so before we do this we have to um just for the listener as well and also for the lads taking part pre-2015 the grand slam was a world title in wwf A tag title, intercontinental title and the European or hardcore title from 2015. It was a world title, including the universal title. So I appreciate that's not a world. That's a universe. A tag title, intercontinental title and the U.S. title in place of the European or hardcore title. So there are 21 in total, which I'm relieved about because I thought we might get our first tie. (laughs) <laughs> no way <laughs> no not a chance in hell mate let's go first i'll go with tom I'm gonna give... oh <laughs> i nearly mugged myself right off then what are the qualifiers again
2: oh come on tom listen to the
1: damn <laughs> so <laughs> it's not... free 2015 world title tag title intercontinental title and one of european or hardcore title right yeah, yeah.
0: 2015
1: Those titles, but substitute the US title for the European or hardcore title. Tommy, go. Shawn Michaels. Yes.
2: Um, Chris Jericho.
1: Yes. Oh, the goat. Um, Are you going to go Ray Mysterio? Yes, Raymond Mysterio. (laughs) Raymond.
2: Um, Kurt Angle.
1: Kurt Angle. Angle, Angle, yes. Jeff Harvey. Hardy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, Mike adam correct. Uh, Edge, correct. Adam Copeland. Um, Christian. Christian. Yes. Um.
2: Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, Triple H.
1: Yes, of course. Ha ha ha! It's Triple H. <laughs> uh, Chris Benoit. Sorry, Tommy. No, I should. Now, he he may be an awful human being, but he's not a Grand Slam champion.
2: So this will be where the criteria changed in 2015, why he's not. Because he's definitely been an IC and a US title champion. And a tag. And a tag champion and a world champion. It's just that was from 2015. So I don't know how you want to talk about this. I don't know if that's what, what we're talking about here.
1: It's a fair point. Those were the criteria. You know what? I think you can have
2: it. I think so. I think that's Oof. fair.
1: So he's an awful human being, but you can have him.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with... I may have chubbed myself here. Who knows? Um, I'm going to go with... Oh, I'm not so sure now. Yeah, Cain. Oh, you
1: fucking bastard. I was just written, I was just written that For loud. hell, don't. fire, and something stone, it's him. It's Cain. That's got to be Kane. Cain. <laughs> But <laughs> you know what? This. Oh, um... Come on, strap on a pair of bloody bollocks, both of you. <laughs>
3: the thing is, though, I've got a joke answer and I've got a
1: real answer, and the real answer might be wrong, and I'm scared now. So I'm going to go with Ric Flair. Like ah, Ric Flair! Uh, no. Ric Flair's not there. Ric Flair's not there, just like your pubic hair.
3: Um, but but have, again? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> No. Well, no, he, he must, well, must have held the U.S. title at one point. He must have I, held the. I do not
1: believe he did.
2: Well, I think he probably has, but in the 1980s. If you if you count it back to WCW, that's the thing. Like it is, uh, it is a difficult one. But he's definitely held it. I mean, he held it like three or four times in the 80s. Um, and that's, in fact even his first one was in the 70s. So like you're going back a long way with the U.S. title. But again, it's down to those criteria, mate. It's difficult.
1: Yeah, well, and um, it was in WWE, so WCW don't count because they're scum.
2: Well, if that's the case, then Ric Flair, I don't think, did win the US title in WWE.
1: Um, i looking at his
3: uh, World Wrestling Federation slash Entertainment. So, Tag Team Champion three times, twice with Batista and Piper, Intercontinental Championship one time, Heavyweight Championship two times. I think that should be enough for it to be a, you know, <laughs> legit contender in this. Um, Royal Rumble winner, Night 2, 13th Triple Crown Champion, Slammy Award for Match of the Year versus Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 24, WWE Hall of Fame, two times, in 2008 individually, in 2012 as a member of the Four Horsemen, and he's got a WWE bronze statue. Oh, I love <laughs> me. Um Can I tell you who my other answer was before
1: we continue? You certainly um, can. Foxy Stint. <laughs>
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and Foxy Stoke would have been correct. <laughs> uh,
2: I had. How about these? I had Dolph Ziggler.
1: Uh, no. 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 Not according to this. I think that's correct. I think that's well, right. I think the site that I got this from wasn't correct.
3: Oh, no, is this it's...
1: is this
2: old man's corrupt wrestling website dot you got it from? I've also got. Um, how about the Miz?
1: Uh, the Miz, Mike Mizanin, he's a he's a grand slammer.
2: And so I was also I've got on my list here Daniel Bryan.
1: Yeah, D. bry
2: Um, how about John Cena? Uh, John Cena is not listed. I don't think he's won the IC belt, which is a reason why he's not. So I I have yeah. no problem with that if if that's the case. And I've also I've also listed Brock Lesnar, but just because you have to. But I don't think
1: he's won the tag belts. No. Um, Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam, Mr. PPVRVD, correct. Do you know what he has won, He bloody has won a tag team championship.
3: Has brought Lesnar. Has he? No, I'm looking at I'm looking at John Cena.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I had Alberto Del Rio.
1: No, okay. he was too. He's too busy allegedly beating women to be a Grand Slam champ, unfortunately. <laughs>
2: I just want to point out though, Tom. What I did there was I picked the ones I thought most likely first, and then <laughs> picked the ones that were less likely. <laughs> no, to, to be fair, I wasn't
3: getting anywhere after.
2: I know, Rip I know. I was, I was more I mean, replacing your I... previous performance, if I'm honest.
3: <clears throat> so I may have got Rob Van Dam. I, it did cross my mind, but I did think because obviously he did win the WWE title, but I think i would forgotten that. Um, so let's just clarify a few things. What did you? What title did you see? You didn't think John Cena had won. The, uh, the, um, the
1: intercontinental. Uh,
2: the I see,
1: yeah. Yeah, you're correct, He hasn't won it. So the ones that you missed were Kofi Kingston. Yeah. Seth Rollins. Mm. Randall Keith Orton. Oh, he's been around forever, hasn't he? You Randy Orton in every single
3: subject is there.
2: And yeah. also he's there and we miss him every time. I think we missed him yeah. for the Royal Rumble winners as well, and I just I just yeah. don't think of him. I just do not think of him ever.
1: Uh, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which, with respect to Dean Ambrose, is disgraceful. <laughs> uh, well, it's the big show. <laughs> See, isn't it longevity and people that got a recent push? Yeah, uh, Jonathan Bradshaw Layfield. Yeah. Uh, so good they named him twice, Booker T, and Edward Guerrero.
2: And interestingly, by his absence, no Undertaker.
1: No, he wasn't touching the Intercontinental title. I do believe he's won everything apart from the Intercontinental and the US title.
2: (laughs) If two things had happened... Um, then he could have been a grand slam champion first one yeah. being that if he had at one point in his t- in his career pursued either the intercontinental or u.s title the other one would be that if he gave a flying fuck about the grand slam title because i'm sure he doesn't and nobody else does in wwf either i imagine
1: of course he this is why i was told about the intercontinental title because i was thinking i was like oh, yeah because he did win the hardcore title didn't he
2: yeah he did yeah, yeah. Well, lovely stuff. That is the end of today's episode. It's been a a very interesting one, a show that none of us, I don't believe, had seen before this, uh, before we watched it for this uh, episode. So really, really interesting. And um, obviously, if you want to join us on social media, we would welcome you with Open Arms, Pod UK is where you can find us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Uh, Old
1: man. Well, thank you very much, Ben. I think it's been a great show. I think I think I really enjoyed it, and I think the listener can take a lot of things from it and the main thing I want them to take is always remember Ken Patera. and,
2: <laughs> and uh and Thomas, also thank you for your contributions to today's show
3: uh you're welcome it was, a, it, was it was a fun sh- it was a fun chat I didn't care too much for the show, but what I am happy about now is i'm going to go off and uh, crack open a couple of beers for a uh, big Steve Lombardi now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the party is about to begin and i'm sure it is where you are as well we'll be back of course next week with another episode of the random wrestling review but until then take care